step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of For All You Kids Out There, the official podcast of your baseball prospectus Mets local site. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me, as always, is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, I didn't think of a banter topic for this week. I mean, this, like, Survivor Series would be the perfect banter topic, but we're talking about that with Brady in segment three. Yeah, Brady's going to be on the show. You're the one that did it, dude. Look, it's, you know. We'll have Brady on when Rick Porcello wins the Cy Young. He held me responsible for every stupid thing I've said on this show over the last six months. We'd be in trouble. But we will be holding me responsible for this one stupid thing. And yes, Brady will be on in segment three. Because Rick Porcello won the Cy Young. Rick Porcello did win the Cy Young. In the second segment, we'll talk about the rest of the NL East prospect lists, the rest of which went up, or the last of which, I should say, the Marlins went up today at Baseball Prospectus. We'll talk about them. You don't <laughs> really very need much. the Marlins one. <laughs> the Nats um, and the Mets with our good friend and minor league editor, Craig Goldstein. We'll probably also talk about Pie, I would guess. And Chumbawamba. Yeah. And in the first segment, we'll run down your Mets news for the week, and there is a little bit. I actually want to start with the Rule 5 ads because they're not that interesting this year. Yeah, so there were like four guys that they had to add, and then there were a few pitchers in the margin, and most people I feel like were guessing that they'd add Kevin McGowan. I guess Chris Flexen. to Skyler too much. <laughs> yeah, I guess Chris Flexen, and I was right. Um, they also could have added Philip Evans. I know Baseball America suggested they think that Philip Evans is going to get picked. I mean, I'll say the same thing I said last week and out of my Amazing Avenue audio hit. Also from last week, I just, for me personally, I'd want a better shortstop if I'm taking him in that spot, but so one probably thing, stick. A little bit of baseball news that might impact this. It sure looks like rosters are expanding to 26 but next year. But that applies year, like everybody's just going to take a Rule 5 guy then at that point. Yeah, but like that might bring back in like the utility guy. It's going to be a 13th reliever. We both know this. Which means that Kevin McGowan's probably going to get sure. picked that. Uh, and, and just for Evan specifically, like the Mets just have this role duplicated in so many places, even with right. Eric Campbell going to Osaka. When you already have Gavin Shakini and TJ Rivera. And Ty Kelly really can do that, And too. Ty Kelly. Yeah, I mean, they could have outrighted Ty Kelly and placed Philip Evans on the 40. But Ty Kelly is hitting the majors for 100 at-bats. Sure. Evans and... was in double-A, and... You know, Phil Evans is 300 at-bats off of being a high-A utility guy on the border of being released. Yeah. So let's not go too crazy. And I like Phil Evans. Yeah, and it I'm might like, be real and good for him. He might be the 
Mariners 26 man or something this year and could be the Mariners <laughs> give me the Mariners fifth infielder <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was gonna say it could be the Mariners shortstop next year um, you know there's teams on which Phil Bevins could get 300 at bats if possibly. only the Mariners had held on to the best shortstop in the American League they wouldn't be in this spot was that too far back is it too far of a callback do you even remember that yeah. anymore Oh, I do. I know you do. I was I was debating whether to continue with the next line, which is not just a star, superstar. <laughs> uh, so would Philip Evans, if Philip Evans is rule five, would he have made the Marlins top ten? He's like, so... I... I think the answer is yes. I think he beats out like those. He probably beats out Isaiah White because he's closer to the majors, and it's probably the same sort of forty-five thirty profile. Yeah, I mean they had a they had second and fake short, and I don't know if White's going to be able to fake center field, and White's also like five years away. They had a slot third round high school outfielder make the top ten. I think Philip Evans is more than that. And I could have put other guys in that spot, but it was going to be like middle relievers or potential fifth starters or Willie Harris. You know, Jeffrey Perez is listed in their next five. Yeah, that's Willie Harris. Yeah, Philip Evans is better than Jeffrey Perez. I've seen both of those dudes. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's a really bad system. We just started talking about the Angels today, too, and it's not much better. I know. I was I was originally thinking Angels, but I didn't want to ruin, because I know there might be an article specifically on that topic. So. Right. I mean, the Angels are literally going to have, like, a waiver wire 40-man ad on their top 10, probably. So The Marlins have worse high-end, but probably slightly better depth. Like, the Angels have dudes in the top 10 that wouldn't make most teams, like, top 40 or 50. The Angels at least have some, like, random high-velocity dudes, though. Like, the Marlins don't even really have that. Yeah, I mean, Vicente Campos is a random high-velocity. I've seen a lot of Vicente Campos. But they've got, like, like, random 19-year-olds with no control that throw hard. Like, the Marlins have Andy Beltre, who I wrote about because I kind of like Andy Beltre. And I even didn't even tell the fun story related to Andy Beltre. But, you know, he, he touched, reportedly touched 100. He was on Baseball America's Dudes That Touch 100 list. He sat 95 to 97 for us, so. Sure. You know, he's a guy coming off Tommy John, still pretty young. Uh, went through two A-ball levels this year. He's got a chance. I mean, he's the equivalent of, like, Ty Bachelor, who is not going to make the Mets others of note, but... It's yeah, the I mean, we ranked, this isn't, I know we haven't actually released the second part of this article, but Philip Evans is ahead of Tyler Bachelor on our expanded Mets list, but yes. not by a couple of spots. Sure. Marlon so, system, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, how do systems get this bad? I wrote about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, they've had well, some bad luck. We can talk about this with Craig, but they've had some bad injury luck with like Lilith. Well, I'm guessing we're not going to actually talk yeah, about probably the Marlins. Not, yeah. Correct. <laughs> I mean, they had Lilith. We're going to talk about the Mets at the Nationals. Lilith and Kolek get hurt, but I mean, Kolek was risky-ish, I guess. I in at the time taking Kolek over Carlos Rodon made no sense, and it makes even less sense in retrospect. Sure. Uh, and, you know, Lilic was never, was a confounding prospect as a college guy. 
Sure. But sometimes you maybe you think you're buying low on a bad junior season and those guys get it back. Sure. He never really did and then he got hurt. And it's a shoulder strain, so yeah. The literal number two prospect is somebody that they got returned to them yes. in a trade in exchange for Colin Ray. Yes. I mean, and Andrew Kashner, functionally, unless you want to call Naylor for Kashner the other part of it. Well, no, when they returned Ray back to the Padres. Right. They took Castillo back. They got Castillo back. And now claim he's a three-pitch guy that's going to win 20 games as a starter. Well, why are you trading him in the first place for Colin yeah, Ray then? <laughs> Colin Ray is a generic fifth starter. Yes. And at the so, time, the Marlins needed a generic fifth starter. Yes, but that's what we valued the number two prospect in the system as. Right. He was literally traded straight up for a generic number two I mean, two I starter. wouldn't have done that, but I'm not the Marlins. Yes, as two I think baseball was made clear by my essay. Yes. And he's like the clear number two. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, that's a, that, that's a tier. Like, he's a tier. Right. Because Colex and Tommy John rehab. And, and the rest of the system's just... Hadn't done much anyway. And then Acel Soto, we saw him. No, he was hurt when we were there. Oh, the, yeah, I had to run it. Was down. he hurt? Okay, yeah, but it hasn't really changed. He missed like two weeks, and it was one of the weekends we were there. Garrett was hurt okay. too. Um, oh, yeah, no, I know we didn't see Garrett. I thought we saw Soto. I yeah. may have saw Soto later in the season. You might have. I know you sat on a, a Greensboro series after. Uh, yeah, after I, that. But yeah, yeah, it's I'm like pretty, it's like yeah. it's corner guys that aren't quite toolsy enough to be corner guys. You know, Garrett Soto. Garrett, I think might be better than the. I mean, it's like it's a lost year. You got to kind of write it off like you did with Kolak. I think. I, I I'm hesitant to like knock him for getting stabbed by his teammate. <laughs> There's a knife, but... Frank Jarrett. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, that's like, like weird. Like no I've other systems Austin... does like knife pranks happen in. It feels like. Like Austin Dean, I've seen Austin Dean. That's. Austin Dean's probably not a starting outfielder. I mean, he, I didn't write him up as one. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Anyway, rule five. We're, yeah. we're drifting here. So they added Ahmed Rosario. Do we have anything to say about Ahmed Rosario? No. If we do, we'll say it with Craig. They added Tomas Nito, who's not on the top ten. No. But he could have been on the top ten. Could have been, they, you could have made a case for him at the back end of that, certainly. He could have been nine or ten. And catchers are backup catchers are not that hard to hide. Uh, Marcos Molina, who, if they were going to try and hide Marcos Molina, he would not have been pitching in the Arizona Fall League. Sure, and the reports I th- I've gotten were generally good. In the, yeah, the, I, the stuff seems to be coming back apace, and he's only a little over a year out, so that's good. So there is video floating around. Yeah, the mechanics are still bad. The mecha- they're bad in a slightly, slightly different way. Different way. Yeah. yeah, there's like more hesitation. Right. Um, Wilmer Basara, who they slid through last year, would have been a real stretch this year. I guess even with the shoulder, I guess they would know better about the shoulder thing then. Um, here's our number ten prospect, and with they had one more spot given the amount of people they outrighted, that still gives them... Because you never want to go to 40, because if you go to 40, then you can't take somebody in Rule 5. So they went to 39. And they protected Chris Flexen. Um, I had suggested that there was pretty much... I had suggested they would protect one or two of four guys with Flexen at the top, and then McGowan and Seawald and Evans. Right. 
at BP Mets. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, sure. It's I appear to be the high man on Chris Flexen now. I don't well, know the if argument part. I made, I think, on Twitter for it was you do that if you think Flexen still has a chance to start. Sure. What sort of the dividing? I mean, again, he started St. Louis all this he year. Have great coverage. Did right. we get any reports on him from our no, FSL guys? None of our FSL guys saw him. Okay. But that would be so, my general assumption. They kept him as a starter, though you would expect him to stay as a starter anyway just to get the reps coming off uh, Tommy John. I mean, when I saw no. him in Savannah two years ago, I thought he was a fastball breaking ball reliever, but that was two years and a surgery ago. He's still relatively young because he was a young prep pick. It's like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's like totally reasonable selection. Before he blew out his elbow, I basically considered him on around the same level as Gazelman, probably slightly behind, but kind of a similar. Yeah, Gazelman was a little more polished even at that yeah. point. Slightly behind. Yeah. Not that far behind. And, you know, there's definitely upside there. There is a lot more upside there than Kevin McGowan and... In two years, Flexen might be making the same conversion that Kevin McGowan's already made. Yeah. Again, nothing against Kevin McGowan. When you become a good team, it becomes more difficult to protect all of your future, like, roll 45 middle relievers. Yeah, you can't protect all your middle relievers. You can't protect all your utility guys. You just can't. You try to protect all your catchers. You try to protect I mean, they all have four catchers on the 40 now. Right. Which is going to be a tough little needle to thread. Which, you know, somebody could go. They've talked about non-tendering Rene Rivera. Do we actually believe this? No. No. I, I could only see that if they had a deal to bring him back as an NRI. But I also can't imagine why he'd take an NRI at this point. Yeah, he could probably get a major league backup deal somewhere. Yeah, for one year, two million, which is what he's going to get in arbitration. arbitration. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could be looking to trade Ploiecki or Darno. We know Darno's been on the trading block before, obviously. Just for, for what? Yeah, I mean, you can, by the same token, you can carry four catchers on the forty. It's not the end of the world. Sure, I mean, you're not carrying Eric Campbell anymore. So. <laughs> They're not carrying Eric Campbell because, and you wanted to talk about this. Eric Campbell is headed to Osaka to join the Hanshin Tigers. So Eric Campbell can no longer be called up. <laughs> That is literally true. I mean, they could purchase his contract, but yes. I think Eric Campbell's actually going to do pretty well in NPB. I think so? I don't know about that, like... It's the right profile. I guess. It's always hard for me to tell with these guys who's going to do well against, like... Like, can Eric Campbell hit, like, off-speed stuff? Sure. I guess. Yeah, I think the major ramifications... I mean, we know he can hit AAA pitching, I guess, and I guess uh, Nippon Professional Baseball is probably the closest... Yeah, AAA, it's AAA quality. Yeah. Right down to, you see, arms like Otani, but, you know, you also see Alex Reyes in AAA, too. Yeah. Alex Reyes was a major league arm pitching in AAA this past season. Major league power arm. Like We, we kind of know that, you know, Vladimir Balantien can hit AAA pitching, too. He just makes more right. money doing it in Japan. 
And Eric Campbell's going to make a lot more money doing it in Japan. Well, that's too. the other thing, too. Even on, like, a split deal, you know, he's maybe making... It's like, probably been 500 when he's up, 100 when he's down, something like that. Sure. He can probably get high six figures guaranteed. I didn't see what... I don't know if there was a report of the money, but, you know, players like Eric Campbell usually get a million or two to yeah, play. Yeah, Millage got, like, two and five, I think. Yeah. Two years, five million when he got his... That might have been his initial extension off his first season there, though, but... You can make decent money. And there's certain advantages to living as an American in Japan, too. Sure. It's not a bad place to go live. Osaka's quite nice, actually. Yes. It's not it's not like the guys that are going to play, you know, Venezuela Winter League and like having to you know, have bodyguards like going around and there's the fair American expat population and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you know, it is it's a cool experience, I would assume. To me the major ramification is that the Mets can't <laughs> call Eric Campbell up and Terry Collins can't just decide to play Eric Campbell way too much. I think that's about all we have to say about it. There will always be another Eric Campbell as long as Terry Collins is around. Yeah, but the Eric Campbell thing was, like, specifically grading. Sure. I mean, Justin Turner at least was, like, a reasonable—I mean, as a Met, like, a reasonable backup infielder. Like, I already know who the new Eric Campbell's going to be. It's going to be T.J. Rivera. Sure. But T.J. Rivera's a better hitter than Eric Campbell. Sure. So T.J. Rivera might get too much playing time, and T.J. Rivera— might get jammed into spots where he doesn't belong, but we keep talking about we think TJ Rivera probably has like a fifty-five or sixty hit tool. Right. TJ Rivera had, could actually be Justin Turner. Eric Campbell Again, had a, a twenty hit tool. That was the problem. Yes. So the player that replaces Eric Campbell, which I suspect is te- functionally TJ Rivera and or Ty Kelly, is just the better player. So here's to you, Eric Campbell, and I'm sure you'll be back next year because, you know, that's how these things go. He'll be the new Dwayne Below. The Met will be back this year is Neil Walker, who accepted the Mets' qualifying offer for one year, $17.2 million, as I think we both expected. Do we have anything to say about this because we expected this? <laughs> you know... I mean, you already said your piece about it being too much money for the Mets specifically. Yes, but in general, I think it's. I think if you can get Neil Walker in one year, seventeen point two million, it's a big win. I just, as a matter of roster construction on a hundred and <laughs> payroll, I don't know how this works, and it might cause them to trade somebody like Jay Bruce. Those rumors have been out there, and which is fine. I would be quite fine with that. It's probably the right move for Walker. I'm sure Walker... Sure, his agent did due diligence, no doubt. I'm guessing he probably had Daniel Murphy-level offers, and one year, 17 million, is better than 336. Probably. He might not have even had that, given the uncertainty around the back, although the Mets are saying all the right things, for whatever that means, around a medical uh, issue. Well, so in theory, the Mets have the best information here, and other teams might not have good information. 
So the fact that the Mets were still willing to offer him the qualifying offer and by all indications were actively hoping that he took it would be a good sign. Yes, it indicates depending that he on how much, be healthy like immediately. Depending on how much you trust the Mets in medical information. It's a Pandora's box we probably don't want to get into. No, probably not. Is that all we have for Mets news? It's it's like that section of the off season in between the owners meetings and the winter meetings. Yeah, where nothing all, really happens. You Unless know, you're like, Brett Cecil. Brett Cecil got paid. Yeah, he got four years, thirty and a half. Right. But <laughs> so you're probably not resigning Jerry Blevins for like another one year, four million dollar deal is what that should be telling you, right? Because Brett Cecil is like a slightly healthier Jerry Blevins, basically. Well, I feel like. 2016 notwithstanding Cecil's more of a crossover guy than Blevins is Blevins is versus yeah, right not he's, not not, he's only been a loogie with the Mets he was not strictly used as a loogie in Washington or Oakland so maybe like Cecil's getting or Blevins is going to get like 212 or something 214 oh I think he's going to beat that I think if, I think the Mets would sign him to 212 yeah. if they could like a really Antonio Pistardo got yeah. 212 last year, dude. Yeah, I know. Relievers, man. I don't know. And they need some. Because they have, like, Smoker, Robles, and Reed, basically, for the opening day roster. Oh, Eric Goodell. Seth so, Lugo. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, I mean, they, they need guys better. Lugo, fine. They need guys better than Eric Goodell. At least I hope that they realize they need guys better than Eric Goodell. You know, they can they can move Gabby into the pen. Sure. And it feels like they're going to sign a reliever, though, of some sort, to a major league deal of some sort. Well, that's, I mean, I'm guessing they're going to sign a major league reliever at some point this season. That's just not saying much. Yeah. Like they've done that pretty much every offseason. They've signed like John Rouch or Antonio Bastardo. Brandon Lyon. Brandon Lyon. Frank Frank. Frank Frank. Valverde was a minor league deal, right? I think so, yeah, as was Farnsworth. So was Jim Henderson. And Izzy, I think, too. Man, they had some bad bullpens in the last couple of years. Yeah, Carlos Torres was an NRI too. Was he really? Huh. Yeah, because he had the opt out. That's why they ended up trading. Uh, yes. Colin, they ended up uh, DFAing Colin McHugh. Yep. Clear a spot for him. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty much out of Mets topics. Yeah. Has anything else in baseball really happened? No. No. I mean, Brian McCann got traded to the Astros. Yeah, they they didn't fuck up my Yankees list too badly, so. Yeah, only by one guy. It's an easy enough switch. Spoiler alert! Yeah. Well, we didn't say which one, though you can probably figure it out. I mean, Blue Jays signed Kendris Morales. Do we have thoughts? I totally missed that when it happened. Like, I read about it a week later, and I'm like, I totally missed that when it happened. 
The Rangers signed Andrew Kashner, who could have plausibly been a Mets target for that Bartolo Colon role. Yeah. Hard pass. One year, ten million. Yeah, sure, it's fine. It's like the It's like the Josh Johnson make good deal. Sure. Andrew Kashner's been a very good pitcher at times. Right. Just not He's recently. got the great stuff. He's got the great stuff. Hashtag the great stuff. I mean, Joe Kelly has the great stuff, too. No, Joe Kelly has three plus pitches. That's different. No, he has five plus pitches. <laughs> wait, wait. How did it go from three to five? No, it was five. Was it? I'm confusing him with... I'm confusing him with... Sorry, I'm confusing him with Louis Mateo. Well, that was the ESPN dude said that uh, Joe Kelly had five plus pitches. Yeah, it was Mark Valdez on an SNY broadcast way back when. Said Louis Mateo had three plus pitches. That's a call from... The deep past. Yes. Well, it's the Louis, kind of thing that sticks with you, Jarrett. Louis Mateo is exposed in the Rule 5 draft. I think that's okay. I just remember when that happened, I immediately, like, G-chatted Toby, who was not watching, of course. What were Toby's thoughts? <laughs> I probably <laughs> can't say them on the podcast in deference <laughs> to Toby. <laughs> so on that uh, note, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk with Craig Goldstein about the Mets, Nats, and yeah, find a little bit about the Marlins, Farm Systems. Another week and more prospect lists to talk about. And talk about them we will with our good friend, Craig Goldstein. Craig, how's it going? It's uh, going well. We're right in the middle of pie season as well. So. Yes, Jarrett was very excited about potentially talking about pies, and we will get there. But since this is nominally a Mets podcast, we should probably talk about the Mets prospect list. Yeah, let's do it. So you did two controversial things here. Did I? You dropped you dropped Dominic Smith to four. I mean, he was five last year, so I didn't drop him. I think we okay. yeah we bumped him. Didn't we? Okay, our expect <laughs> or the expectation of the Mets prospect community was he was going to be number two. And he is number four. And you bumped Andres Jimenez above Nemo and Shikini. I did both of those, those things. Those seem to be the two topics of discussion on Mets Twitter. I don't know why you go into those deep, dark recesses. <laughs> well, but those are the interesting things to talk I guess. about. I, I mean, I think the Jimenez thing is more interesting than the Smith thing. I think if our list looks different from other lists, that's probably why. Although I actually think Andres Jimenez may be a little higher on other lists. I but think of one in particular. But... Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I thought it was somewhat restrained on, on Jimenez. Oh, I mean, he's, he's all tools with a lot of positivity around him. It's really easy to pump those guys. But sure. he's over Nimmo and Shikini, who are first-round picks that made the majors this year. So you can understand why a more casual Mets fan might disagree. I mean, the more casual yeah. Mets fan hasn't even heard of Andres Jimenez. Exactly. There is that. There's um, that. How do you want me to take this? <laughs> how, how, I guess, how did you reach the pitchers over Dom? I, we got to talk about Dom for five minutes. Yeah, it's sure. The Mets prospect I think we did 15 list. on Amazing Avenue Audio, but I'll do it again. Um, okay. Not everybody listens to both podcasts, Jeffrey. Sure. Uh, I guess the, I mean, if I'm on both, you should be listening to both. It's it's upside, essentially. OFP, I think. I mean, Gazelman's already in the majors, for starters. And I, know I want to stress that 
frequent listeners of the podcast should not be surprised by either yes. of these, but yeah, just in case. Because um, Elman's already in the majors for starters and looked pretty good. I don't think we think he's a two and a half ERA guy going forward, but he doesn't have to be. He'd be number one if we did. Yes. Uh, and the stuff looked right, and the stuff jumped throughout the season at different points. I mean, there's a clear progression there. He didn't just show up in the majors and flip a switch. Although I don't know if I would downgrade him if that happened in this particular organization with this particular pitching coach, because we've seen it before. And the likelihood he is he is going to be in the major league rotation next year and a meaningful contributor because some of the pitchers ahead of him are going to get hurt because it's the Mets. And how many, I guess the way I phrased it in chat and on Amazing Avenue Audio is how many potential seven fastball, six slider, 55 curve guys are out there in the minors right now. Craig? Yeah, I mean, I think Gazelman gets to something that we'll probably talk about more at length when we talk about the Nationals, you know, but it, it goes to that same thing about with Giolito and how we ranked him and how long we, we kind of hold on to pedigree and uh, how much we base on what we're seeing in front of us. Because, you know, I'd, we've talked about it, the three of us before, that, you know, what we saw from Giolito was not the was not the guy that was sold. Um, and I think you could say that for Gazelman just in a positive light. I mean, this was a completely different guy. And He's at the major league level. He's prepared to be there, and he, uh, he has everything that Jeff just described. I mean, that's better. I mean, that's arguable when you could slot number one, even if he's not a two. So I, I, I thought it made a lot of sense. If if we believe he's, you know, 80 to 80, he was last year, which there's reason to believe he's not, I, I don't have a problem putting him over uh, everyone else except Rosario. And if we want to go into Dom, I mean, I, I'm lower. I might be lower. You're lower on Dom than I am, yes. Yeah. and That's, that's saying something. Yeah, that's rarefied air. Um, I just don't, I, I don't see it. I if the, if the guy is James Loney, James Loney, yeah, I lived Loney prospect type. I believed in the James Loney prospect type. It, James Loney wasn't very good. And that doesn't mean he doesn't have value, but you can go find that guy pretty much anywhere. So it's great to have him in your system, but I'm not going to put a, I don't, I wouldn't put a lot of emphasis on him as a, as a uh, valuable prospect necessarily. I, I would lean for either someone who has more upside or just at least plays a position that carries a lower bar for, for value. Um, it's just that, even if he lives up to kind of what people who like him think he'll be, I, I don't think that's more than, um, you know, maybe a role six guy. And that's, and I, I that mean, just people in the, the deepest, darkest courses of Mets Twitter think he's Mark Grace. So that's a little bit better than role six. It, well, okay. <laughs> it is, but I don't, I don't know what the, I, I, that's like, I can't even see the, I've seen John Olerud too. John Olerud's been the annual the last two years as a cop for him. Because mm. I just had to read all these old annual comments. I mean, I didn't have to, but I did. On Gazelman specifically, I think it's important to remember. Like, it's not like he's the random org guy that came out of nowhere. He was a mm-hmm. good prospect was, coming into the, the season. Yeah, year, right? he was certainly on the radar even before that as a guy close to the top ten. Like, it's always been a potential major league arm. 
he was touching Bert. 95 in Brooklyn for me when I saw him, I guess, 2013. I think Craig maybe had a decent idea that maybe we should bring Gazelman back for the Giolito discussion because I have a specific thing I want to talk about with him in concert with Giolito. Have we, have I don't we know talked if, about Giolito enough, but all right, fine. I don't know if any of you guys agree. If this was my personal list, I might actually have Smith like sixth or seventh. I I would, yeah, I'd probably have him behind Dunn. Yeah, and I don't know if Jeff wants to reveal that or not. But, you know, Jeff is writing these lists, but there is input from other people on the BP staff. And we do have other people on the BP staff that really like Dominic Smith. So we happen to have on the podcast the three who are perhaps the staunchest anti. I guess that is a good point to make on these lists in general. These are not my pref lists. Yes. You don't see... 300 you don't see all top 300 prospects yeah. you can't nobody can and i mean even beyond that of the guys i do see these are not my pref lists sure um, i think you it's very different like it's a different thing when i if i'm writing for one cross checker that knows my particular preferences my ins and outs and what i tend to prefer and i can be a little bit looser with that kind of stuff too because Three years from now, nobody's going to say, oh, you wrote up, I don't know, Luigi Orme as a OFP 45, and he's still in double A as a shortstop. I mean, that's what happened to Wilfredo Tovar, and that doesn't mean your Wilfredo Tovar report was wrong. It just means Wilfredo Tovar never got the breaks, actually, literally, because he broke his leg at one point, <laughs> needed to become, you know, a second division shortstop. But there is a sense in which I am I am crafting a product. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is something I did for the, the midseason list, which, you know, was, was ostensibly my list, but I also got a lot of feedback on it from both people in BP and outside BP, and it's something that you're trying to reflect both your preferences but also some semblance of reality. So, you know, like and- you said, like you may prefer – a particular profile type and completely abhor a different, you know, one profile type and completely abhor a different one, but you can still acknowledge that Miami Marlins prospect. Yeah. Well, but, but, you know, for example, if you, if you are like us and, and don't like the, um, that doesn't, it doesn't have value and you can recognize that without saying, you know, you can say, I don't recognize thing i mean i'm not pushing andres jimenez over dom smith because i think there's a little more upside there you do have to balance that against what smith is likely to give you and look again that role five major league regular has value um you know it's like it's the old scouting joke where you can sit next to this guy like i i love that guy it's like that's like my that's the best guy in the field that's my favorite prospect so what'd you write him up as oh he's a 50 yeah I mean, when it's a first it's, baseman, it's not particularly. I said, you know, we've we've had the Dominic I mean, Smith had, versus Tyler Wade discussion. Yeah, on the I was going to bring up Tyler Wade. Like, the I, podcast. I had I had that exact conversation with a scout about Tyler Wade four months ago or whatever. Like, oh yeah, we both love him. He's the best dude on the field. What'd you write him up as? Yeah, I had him as a forty-five. I, I had him as a fifty. The other guy had him as a forty-five. Well, I mean, isn't the cautionary tale on Dom Smith? I mean, I know James Loney gets thrown out a lot among uh, uh, 
among the more sane people who are not saying Grace or, or Olerud, but isn't John Singleton that same style of prospect in a lot of ways? Spatter, he had more power. Yeah. He had more power, but he was a he was a really pure hitter early on as yeah, a prospect I, too. I mean that's when he what he was an eighth rounder and he was known for he hadn't developed his power yet. Body concerns. Yeah. So but the big thing where I would hesitate on you know, there's a significant John Singleton had fairly significant substance abuse problems that may yeah. have been the cause of him failing to develop too. Yeah. That's not and as far as I know, Dom Smith does not like have no information on that. So I'm a little hesitant to throw John Singleton out there. No, that's fair. That's fair. That was that's a good point. I'll say on Zabucky too, since he's the other guy and probably maybe a little bit more controversial since he's so much further away. It actually seemed like the opposite, believe it or not. Because I think the Selman's been like just so ingrained as like future four that like people are having a hard time understanding. Heck, I had this conversation with Craig like two months ago. I don't even know if Craig Mm -hmm. remembers it, you know, where it was like, you know, Robert Gesellman's going to be like two or three on our Mets list. And Craig was like, Robert Gesellman? Like, because it had been ingrained that he was like a four or five dude. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did not. I, I at that point was not. I think I, I thought he was missing weight bats than he was. Um, and, and I hadn't, you know, kept track of the uh, the upticks and stuff along the way. And I mean, you know, it, it's like we're going to talk about. But when you see that stuff in front of you and you don't assume it's going to backslide, then there's no reason not to stick with it. You know, he's sticking 94-mile-an-hour two-seamers with pretty big run, like, on the black. And that's yep. not – that's a really advanced skill. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's – you know, you can you can say what you want about – I mean, obviously the, the breaking ball uh, showed something too. But, I mean, Tanner Roark throws a two-seamer and a slider pretty much. But he can locate the two-seamer. And when he's been a starter, he's been – really really good you know you don't need you don't necessarily need that much more if you have that type of control and that type of movement and gazelman does have the curveball to give lefties a different look you know yep. the change isn't very good at present and with Zapucky, i was just gonna make the same joke like how many dudes have a future 70 fastball 60 slider because we'll just assume he gets one and uh 55 curveball and that might even be low on the curveball sure and I like the changeup. He threw like three yeah, or four real good changeups. There were also ones that were indistinguishable from his two seam fastball, except they were 10 miles an hour slower, but. It's a dude in short season. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, is why he's three on the list and not one or two. Kind he could, of a. He could bro- be one in a year. <laughs> he could be one in yeah. a year. Because both of those guys could graduate. Well, I was going to say, both of those guys are going to graduate off. Yeah. Should we be concerned that out of the top seven Mets prospects, four of them have yet to make their full season debut? These things are cyclical, I guess. I wouldn't... Uh, I mean, it's, it's a more volatile system than I think it's been in the past. And that's a but little unfair the... for Dunn, too, because Dunn's right, a lot yeah, Dunn easily could have been in, in yeah. full season ball. I mean, Dunn could be in the majors this year at sure. some point. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't bother me, but I've always never been particularly bothered by that level of risk. Yeah, I guess where I'm going is after Rosario there, and maybe Gesellman, there might be significant risk from like three on, basically. Sure. And him and I, it was just one of those things where as I went through the process, I 
couldn't think of a good reason to keep Jimenez off the list compared to some of the guys around him. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, like, Nimmo and, and Shakini are are at, at the major league level, but I, I think we all kind of are on the same page that there's just not a lot of upside there. I, I think Nimmo has more than Shakini, but, I mean, given the potential upside that Jimenez has, I, you know, it's one of those things where you blend the, the, the kind of the risk involved and the upside involved and, um, and then the likelihood of what they are, but... You know, casual. Available and Jimenez just has feeling that I think it's weak. Those guys are are have that type of impact potential, and I think when you're when you're making, you know, if you're if you're actually forming a team, you might take Nimmo. Uh, over Jimenez. But when you're talking about making a list that's trying to identify future, you know, future players and how valuable they'll be, I think you lean towards upside. You know, and I think that's something, it's not necessarily just trying to play to the crowd who wants a new name, but it is something that, you know, there are a lot of role 40, role 45 types. And, you, you know, you don't have skin in the game the same way that you do if you're if you're an organization or if you're uh, actually have something on the line when you're making these rankings. So it, it's a little easier. Um, and but I don't know that it's wrong to go with the upside. I think it's also fair to say that we hedged on Jimenez because none of us have ever seen him because he's sure. never come stateside yet. Like if he was in Brooklyn this past year, I think there's a pretty good chance he's three or four on the list. Hey, that's basically mm-hmm. what happened with if Thomas Zapucky was just in the GCL and we didn't have anything past the reports, I think you'd treat him differently too. Sure. And it's probably different because you saw him and I saw him and a couple of other guys saw him. And it's I mean, like everyone's seen the him. Same report. Yeah. yeah. It's all the same report, and I mean, even if he hadn't, they hadn't promoted him up from Kingsport, even if they just, you know, his four starts in Brooklyn or in Kingsport, he might be fifth on the list instead of third. I guess. I had a scout blow him up to me in Kingsport even before I saw him. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I mean, that was not a particularly... By the time his, like, second start in Kingsport had happened, (laughs) like, the secret was already out. (laughs) I'm like, well, the dude's... Kang double digits every start and like touching 96-97 as a lefty. <laughs> That's gonna make it out. But you know, I think I think it was I, I mean I, I honestly think that there was a decent amount of restraint on this list. I mean I, I would be someone who would push Justin Dunn. Um he's the exact profile of someone I really like, and I know that there's a lot of uh concern that he ends up in the bullpen I think he could be really good there but you know I've I heard from scouts who thought he had a pretty good chance to start and he he thrived as a starter he doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm I know he's not necessarily really 6'2 but you know we've kind of seen a wave of smaller uh starters with good stuff you know from Marcus Stroman on up um be able to to stick as starters throughout their time in the system and and if there is a system that could you know make the most of of a guy like Dunn, I feel like the Mets, the Mets are one. I mean, yeah. for me, Dunn was just, it's kind of almost a placeholder ranking. Mm-hmm. Cause these guys are so, I've said this a million times. I just evaluating arms coming off, coming from college into short season, especially treat, treating them the way the Mets do. 
it's very difficult to get a feel for what they are. Um, you know, I whatever, I saw some starts on TV with BC, but that gives you a little bit more, but not much. It's just, you don't know how much they're just getting their work in. You know, his velocity seemed to be very different from start to start. You know, I saw him, I think, 93 to 95 for the most part. I've heard I've higher. heard lower, I've heard higher, depending on what start you saw him in. So. Yeah. yeah. It's just you very know, tough I've... to know. I mean, there's certainly a case he could be as high as probably three and his, I mean, six, I don't know if I could get him lower than that, but. You could probably flip him and Jimenez. Sure. Yeah. That's probably. Really want to buy into the upside of Jimenez, which maybe we should be. But like, there's a chance that Justin Dunn's not on this list next year because he graduated too. I guess. Like, you're more gung ho about that real. than I am. And there's a chance two years from now Gregory Guerrero is a better prospect than Andre Simenez. Yeah, there's a chance yeah. two years from now Gregory Guerrero is a better prospect than Justin Dunn too. Like, there's a lot of what Justin Dunn could go almost anywhere. Andre Simenez, we like have a pretty good idea that like at most he's going to be in low A next year, and yeah. we don't like have to worry about it too much. He's probably going to be an extended and show up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. instead um but like dunn could like make double a out of camp and be in the majors in june i mean the or mets just don't could, do that or, or <laughs> he could go to columbia and spend the entire season in a ball like we don't know yeah there's a very wide range of outcomes in the 2017 season for dunn in the interest think, of equal time we should probably move on to the nats list yeah i think sure. we've beaten the mets list is deep as we can unless somebody has deep tj rivera thoughts anybody anybody i'm sure we'll get emails about it (laughs) that is the beauty of being a met specific podcast i'm sure our listeners will let us know if we missed anything and we'll have more time to talk about Mets prospects like all off season and we will probably still be talking about victor robles because we both like victor robles a lot I like Victor Robles. there's three of us on this podcast what do you am i the am i gonna be on every week craig Am I the high guy on Victor Robles still? I mean, are you higher than what I wrote? So you put Victor Robles ahead of Lucas Giolito. I did. This was not as controversial as I thought it was going to be. I think there's probably some prospect fatigue around Lucas Giolito. Yeah. Like there tends to be around guys. (laughs) There also looks like some arm fatigue around Lucas Giolito. Perhaps. So Lucas Giolito no longer throws 100 miles an hour. He also no longer throws 97 or 98. He, like, tops out at 96 sometimes and has mostly been sitting, like, 92 to 95. Yeah. I I think even lower when Craig saw him. Yeah, the start I had him, I think he was, what, 90 to 94. That sounds about right. You sent me the video of that. Yeah. Uh, And it didn't look good either. I mean, I remember the intro. You just don't, like, it could all come back next year and it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, so there were media reports that he had significant mechanical changes made by the Nationals in spring training. Why you would do this, I have no earthly idea. And his mechanics looked out of whack for most of all of the season. His velocity was down, and he had no command of anything. That's not good. That's all not good. And we should These have that, like, after he switched back, it didn't, like... It got a little bit better, but right. not, not like the velocity went up a little bit. Like, but... I don't know. It's like I, the tools are still in there. He's still young. 
But he's never been able to drop the curve in for strikes. It's always been a chase pitch only, and that's a problem. And I feel like that's something that, like, maybe it's just me. I think we've talked about this on the show before. I want to see you be able to do multiple things with the curveball if you're going to throw it. And that was something I noticed even in April with Robert Gazelman. I keep I don't know why we keep comping Gazelman and Giolito. But, oh, we were going to do that. Well, again. I think they're. I mean, but Gazelman could Gazelman can do everything. He could front door it. He could back door it. He uses the chase pitch. He could start it in the zone. He could spot it for a strike. I mean, it's it's whatever. The shape wasn't super consistent. It's like it was like a fifty fifty five pitch, but he could do he could command it well. It doesn't have mm-hmm. like it's not Giolito's hammer. It doesn't have that same tight consistent shape, but it's I don't want to say a it might be a better pitch at present than Giolito's. Like, functionally. Functionally, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... Giolito's curveball, we're almost getting into the difference between, like, raw power and game power. It's like raw curveball versus game curveball, because they're not the same thing at this point. Sure. Yeah, well, like, the curveball in isolation is is great, but, I, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it, because it's not... But you don't get to use it in isolation. Right. And, Fla- I mean, flashes, I think you can. Flashes seven isn't seven. Right. Right. And uh, I mean, on top of that, though, I mean, that's also his most effective offering against lefties, right? And when you can't throw it for a strike against lefties, then they can sit on the fastball, and they don't, you know, they don't have to respect it. And he he was able to get away with it in a little bit in in the start I watched. Um, I mean, he he basically only threw fastballs the first time through the order uh, when I saw him in Double A. But if, if you look at his his minors, I mean, he was fine, right? I mean, for the most part, he expect from GLE. I'm fine, but the, I think the difference that you get, and I don't, and I don't mean to just purely stats get here, but the difference is, you know, major league hitters aren't going to chase the curveball when you can't throw it for a strike, and that means fastball, especially you know, a six seven five and allow twenty six hits in twenty one innings. You know, I think the other thing to keep in mind too is this is not just about. Lucas Giolito being down, but Victor Robles being awesome. Right, right. I mean, this is that you know, we also have to remember, you know, last year, um, Ezra, the Nationals list, and I, what the tools that we gave him were absurd. I mean, it was like three sevens, a six, and a five. Yes. That's, you know, so this is not, this is not like, I mean, it's not a shame to, to come in second to that type of profile. And you could get a fourth seven too, because I apparently like his fielding a lot more than everybody else. But even, even being conservative, right? I mean, that's. Yeah. Like that's conservative. Conservative is that he might only have like two or three sevens. Yeah. And the ones he has like, or, you know, he's obviously a seven runner because you can mention that. And I think everybody pretty much agrees that he's a potential seven hitter. I mean, if he's just a seven hit seven run and it plays down and he's average and center, that's still a monster. Yeah. If he hits 10 home runs a year. Yeah. That's like a player that literally doesn't exist right now. Yeah. Like that's, I don't know, an amplified version of Ben Revere's prime. I mean, I comped him to Lorenzo Cain, I think. Seven. The comp I've heard a lot is Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, seven, like, that's like a roll Seven hit, dude. seven run. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean, that's... If you start... 
but we're talking lofty comps. We're sure. talking Lorenzo Cain. We're talking Andrew McCutcheon. These are all stars, superstar players. Right. This is a guy. Again, I don't. I feel pretty safe saying he's going to be in our top ten. I mean, yeah, I, 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 mean, yeah, I would not be shocked. Was he in the top ten at midseason? I think he was. He was close if he wasn't. He was. He was. Yeah. yeah. So this I is really want. I think down. I got him to nine. I think I got him to nine. I can check, but you know, this is one of the ten best prospects in baseball. It's okay, so he, so here's a good question: Would you rather have Victor Robles or Ahmed Rosario? I got this question in a chat, so <laughs> to me, the answer is Robles. You think so? And I don't even think it's that close. I think the I just think the speed, defense, glove, and I think he'll hit enough just gives him a higher floor than Rosario. Although in theory, Rosario's grades aren't that far off. They that. aren't, but there's just there's something about like. Rosario swing, I think, at least for me, that's always going to be a little bit of an open-ended question until he hits in the majors. That's fair. And I, it's the difference between being like a 260 hitter and a 290 hitter, probably, which is significant. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be a complete disaster. I don't think he is, but I could see there being a little more swing and miss there than maybe you've seen at present so far. Yeah, I mean, so I saw Robles for a series, actually a series and a half, because I caught half of the second series, um, before he turned 19 in Lakewood against one of the better low-A pitching staffs around, and he was just like murder, death, kill, anything he wanted to do. He made one of the like three best plays I saw all year in center field, like, you know, he was down the line consistently, like high high four flats, low four ones from the right side. Like, there's just nothing. You know, he plays the game with a lot of exuberance. There's just nothing you can say. He bunts well. He <laughs> has a weird back. He has a it is weird a Dusty Baker <laughs> team. Well, no, but he, you know, he's a small seven runners so sure, if he, yeah, yeah. you know if he adds 10 hits a year bumping for hits that's good um he has a weird knack for getting hit by pitches which is going to inflate his on base percentage and also got him hurt but we'll ignore that uh he's got his base running instincts are still a little raw um there's not a lot of power at present i can see given the frame and the wrists and the bat speed that there's the possibility that there will be more yeah, I mean that was that was my big question on him, right? I mean that when you when you bring up Rosario and and Robles, I mean the one the one question I have, and you know when we're throwing out this many high grade tools, I think pe- in a center fielder, I think people are naturally going to look back on like Trout and guys like that. And he's I don't think anyone. Okay. No, no, I understand. Okay, that. just to be clear, <laughs> no one. He's is. not Mike. Yeah, Trout. I just thought we have yeah. we have listeners that will take that as he's Mike Trout. He's not Mike Trout. Right. No, no, and I mean to say, people will try and make that comparison. I agree. He's not. But I, I, mean, I think Buxton's even the better Trout, comp here. Anyway, I feel like. What's that? Buxton's the better comp before Buxton got like hurt. Horribly. Buxton was a more physical player. Yeah, I think. fair enough. Well, that's that's kind of what I was going to get to. Was you know like Trout even didn't have the same type of power production uh, projections that he showed as a major leaguer, right? Right. No, I mean, Trout was like a projected five or six power zone eight. Right. And so I guess the question is, you know, when, when you're when you're dealing with a guy, you know, this young, I mean, he's 19, and, like, do you see the type of added weight and growth that is there for him to to kind of potentially exceed – 
that that current, you know, five, you know, if you want to throw a future five on his power. I mean, could he surprise us? Could he add that type of weight? I mean, I could it, like it. I said, it wouldn't shock me if he turned into Andrew McCutcheon, who's probably closer to a six. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he's he's listed at six foot. He ain't six foot. Mm-hmm. So he's a shorter guy. Right. Um, he does have, I think, some potential. I always feel weird discussing teenagers' body growth potential. I think he does have some potential to well, gain get some used muscle. to it, buddy. <laughs> That's I job. know <laughs> it's never gonna not feel weird. Well, but I mean, it felt the other weird thing is, when I was doing about football guys ten years ago too. So. If he's if he's five ten at nineteen, I mean, he can add height too. I mean, that's sure you're nineteen. You're not necessarily done growing, so. But he's kind of a smaller guy, and I don't know how geared the swing is for power as of yet. It's more of a line drive gap swing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I, I guess you know, going back to Jeff's question, if I was, if I knew for sure that Robles wasn't going to top over a, a five power and and might be less than that, I might be inclined to take Rosario, just valuing you know up you know infield uh, play a little more. But I I think. Rosario might have like the higher ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of positional adjustments. I don't think that's weird to And there's a there's a shot like Rosario's got a shot for a seven hit tool. Right. Too. He, could like, he could be like a three hundred twenty home like, run guy and almost as a good shortstop, and that's like I don't that's a monster. Did you give Rosario a tool grade? Like you could plausibly give Rosario a future seven hit, but it's not I gave him a six. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's how I would have uh, written him up. It's like, and he's also all of a sudden. I mean, we talked about this throughout the year, uh, the three of us. But he's also a, now a seven runner. I mean, yeah, that's, 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 we specifically talked about this last yes. week. Right? Yeah. Uh, oh, that actually was that off air. I think we talked. It was about off air. Well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the short answer is, you know, sometimes this happens at 20 when guys actually get into real training programs that are. Otherwise, and, fast like like he literally didn't know how to run, is what it came so, down to. <laughs> so for all the shit people say about Barwis conditioning and Barwis this and Barwis that, Barwis is a highly respected off season strength and conditioning program, and that is something that Ahmed Rosario had access to for the first time last year, and it's specifically one that was designed for speed and strength because it's designed for football players, not baseball players. And football players shaving a tenth off of their 40 time is not, which is essentially what Rosario did in a slightly different form, is not rare at all. Mm-hmm. So it, it I, really comes down to is baseball players don't usually train that way, even yeah. Yeah, beyond um, you know, being 19 and not training that way. And the Mets do, and he was apparently somebody that had not trained a ton well, Dominic Smith has been there the last couple off seasons. He has not gotten any faster. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, but you no, know. I know it's a slightly different profile. Right. I mean, Ahmed Rosario is like a crazy athletic dude. Yeah, that's that's why. And so is Victor Robles. I don't want to take away anything from Victor Robles in the course of crazy athletic dude discussions. One of the funny things about doing these lists, I find, is I like there's guys I'm aware of. But as I sort of go through the list process, I'm like, wow, I really like this guy. And there was a guy in the national system uh, that jumped out to me. That's Eric Fetty. I really, yeah. Like, I, I, like, I, I re- I've known about I him. Like I kind of know the profile. You know, ex, like, like a lot of nationals arms, ex Tommy John guy. But the deeper I got into him, I'm like, this guy is like really good. 
Yeah. I, I mean, he was someone I, I stumped for a little bit in our in our chat to be up in this top five range. I, I think he could conceivably be top four. Um, I don't know if you can get yeah, him higher than that. You're number one Soto on my watch. No, no, but I, th- <laughs> but I think, if you know, depending on your risk tolerance, yeah, yeah. Um, if you prefer the safer profile, I, I could understand it. Like he's um, a totally plausible one-on-one candidate to me. Betty? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think the worst thing about him is how he spells Eric, but you know, you know, outside of that, I mean, it's splitter's not great. And and the profile, the profile out of, out of college was, was really good too. It was just that he had Tommy John. I mean, this was the nationals, uh, MO at this point. This is a one, one candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I thought that was a little, he was a candidate. He wasn't the one. He was one of the top, definitely top 10. I mean, he was one of the top five or 10 guys in that draft. Yeah, and and he he went under the knife, and I you know it seems like it's all coming back, and you know the velocity he has very very sharp movement on the fastball and uh, a slider that you know as Jeff said it flash plus in the in um, in the write up. So yeah, I mean the the splitter or the change you know I've been told it's a change that can look like a splitter. Um, That's always either- something you want to hear. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm just saying that. I mean, I guess, but it's like, what is it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. It could also be like a split change or something. Sure. I I always like, one of the things about doing this list too is like, uh, pitch nomenclature always kind of annoys me. Like, I've noticed (laughs) it doing, like, trying to figure out whether it's a slider or a curveball a lot of times. Like, I don't don't care what the guy calls it. (laughs) Right. There's what he calls it versus what it looks like versus, you know, and if they can manipulate it, I mean, who the hell knows? Or if they're that's like, oh, it just a, comes out of the hand differently every single time anyway. That's right. actually been a Robert Gesellman issue because he has inconsistently at times referred to a slider as a cutter. Right. And, right. and well, the Worth and slider, too, is functionally yeah. cut, to a I mean, cutter that's, anyway. That was a big thing with Harvey back yeah. when he first debuted it, right? was like, what, whether it's a cutter or a slider. Yeah, Who so, cares? Well, nobody was throwing a 92-mile-an-hour slider <laughs> at the time, so... And um, it has cutter, well, some of them have cutterish movement. Like, Noah Cinderard actually has distinct slider movement, which is just why it's such a ridiculously gross pitch coming in at, you know, 93. Yeah. I mean, I think the tough the tough part with Fetty is that just he's going to be, he's a little older because he's on the recovery path, but they're going to, you know, he's already hit double A. Um, I assume he'll be in triple A pretty quickly next year if he doesn't open there. And... I don't know. I like you said, Jeff. I, I think he's someone. The more you kind of dig into, the more you end up liking him because it's all it's all pretty polished. Yeah. And, and you're also comparing him to somebody like Dane Dunning, who's kind of at the same, you know, a lesser version of a similar prospect, but a couple of years behind too. So right, the or list even, does I mean, fall off if, very quickly past Fetty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even if you go up the list, though, if you go up to Lopez, sure. Yeah. You could, I could see preferring Fetty's profile to Lopez's. Because Lopez, I think we're, are we all pretty confident Lopez is a reliever? I think he's a very good one, but I think he's a reliever, yeah. I do too. I, I think it'd be really interesting to see him as a starter, but if you're the national, I mean, the nationals have such depth that I, I don't know how he survives, you know, and, and ends up being one of their top five guys. And it's also, I mean, just the command's never gotten there. No, no, of course not, but... You know, at the same time, if he's in, you know, what Oakland or whatever, he's going to get two years to try and be a starter. You know what I mean? Right. This is yeah. like the Neftali Feliz conundrum, basically. 
Right, right, and he. I mean, this is a guy, yeah, and I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think he's probably a reliever. And the Nats I mean, need enough, relievers. Yeah, they do, and but I think he could be the guy. You know, he's used to the starters' workload. I mean, it wouldn't be. You know, he's the oft talked about, rarely seen. You know, the two inning guy that we saw in the playoffs this year, but in general. You know, you don't see them very much, but he could easily be a two and he wants through the lineup guy. Depending on what happens at camp, he could also plausibly break camp as their closer, too. Yep. Sure. Sure. But I he, I mean, in my mind, he'd have more value as the as a multi inning, you know, if you give him once through the lineup or two plus innings type thing. Uh, but it's it's a weird system, but there's not I mean, like you said, it drops off after Fetty, but there's still Depth and and kind of upside below. I mean, I kind of like Kaiboom. Mm-hmm. I don't Kiboom. Is it Kiboom or Kaiboom? I've always said Kaboom, but I don't know. <laughs> of course, you have Craig. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's a um, long way away. I'm not entirely sure he's a shortstop. I like the body type and I like the swing. Yeah, and he was someone who, at some point, and you know, some point in the spring was projected you know, closer to the top 15 to 20 than the back half of the first round. So, I mean, there, there was people who liked him a little bit more uh, coming into the season, and it's not impossible that he rediscovers that form. I mean, that's, you know, there are a lot of guys that, there's so much jockeying early on before the draft. I mean, Blake Rutherford was like an easy top 10 guy, and then he ends up going 18 and then looks like, the guy he was as a top potential top ten guy once he signed, right? Well, he was kind of well, trying. He was, to, he was trying to force himself down to the Mets, who had a free draft deal with him. But can well, I say that? Is that like out there now? <laughs> I think that's You're pretty well done. Podcast. I think that's pretty well <laughs> okay. done. Okay, that's good. Um, but even so, I mean, I've heard a lot of guys. You know, I, the guy I profiled in in the others of note, Kelvin Gutierrez. I've heard from multiple scouts that really liked him. Um, down in low A, and you know he he made it to to Potomac this year at the end of the year, but you know they they have some interesting guys. Uh, uh, Jesus Lazardo not... is another one mm-hmm. that's intriguing to me. Again, he's going to miss probably most of 2017 recovering from TJ, but the Nats do well with these guys as we've seen in the past. And then there's yep. Mariano the third. Mariano the third because I needed a fifth guy to write up, so I called on Jarrett. <laughs> Yes, and I had lots of notes on Mariano the third. I mean, I I heard from uh, from from some pro guys that Tyler Watson was an interesting name. I yeah, mean, Tyler it, Watson look, was a guy look, that was in consideration for the ten and didn't quite make it. Yeah, and that's I. But you know, like there's a little more depth than than it may seem. You know, I, I it's not necessarily exciting depth, but the uh, I mean, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just recovering from looking at the Marlins list all day. I say we've got <laughs> oh, about yeah. five minutes left. So we can move on to the Marlins list now. Well, now can I get into Mariano the third? I need to slightly explain my joke about why I have lots of notes. So I see Lakewood in the Sally, and they were specifically pitching Mariano the third a ton in Lakewood because Mariano, Mariano kept going to the games. So they were like setting up their bullpen so that so Mariano like Friday, Sunday could or see his kid. Yeah, so Mariano could see his kid. So I saw Mariano the third a few times. Yeah. Now we got to talk about the Marlins. We're down to four minutes, which seems about the right amount of time. <laughs> That's good. Uh, God, I never want to think about this system again for 365 Braxton, days, Greg. Braxton no... pretty good. I like Braxton Garrett. I, I like, like him yet a little, like a half raid more of fastball, but 
Yeah. It's not. I, At least I, I got prep, nothing. prep lefty with a good curveball. It's always a nice little profile. I think there were some some sources said he was the best prep arm in the draft, even better than like Manning or Groom. So. I mean, Castillo is. Yeah, fine. He's interesting, if nothing. Yeah. If nothing else. You got anything for me past that, Craig? I don't know if Kolek would be on 27, but he's third on this one. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's just I mean, so many Kolek middle, or, it's just so many middle relievers and five starters. And... I don't think he would. I... He's, I, I mean, he, oh, what he has pedigree, and that's it. And I'm, I think. I'm the guy who holds on to pedigree the most out of the three of us. It's a hundred mile an hour fastball, and is it? St- or how confident are we that it's still going to be a hundred mile? That's an hour? what I, was I don't know, but it's with no location and no movement. I mean, would it be shock? Would it shock me in any way, shape, or form if Drew Steckenrider had a better major league career than Tyler Kolek? No, not really. Yeah, but uh, well, I, I what the most interesting guy after Garrett and Castillo to me is is either Soto or Jones. I think it's probably Jones. Yeah. Soto, I just love the bat sure. speed, but I just, he's just, I don't know if he's ever, I mean, it's, he was 19 in the Sally. He didn't look awful. There's bat speed. He's got the arm and the athleticism for right. I don't know if he'll hit. Right. I mean, well, that, right. Yeah. It's, the guys that they have can hit have nothing else. And yeah. the guys that have anything else probably won't hit. Yeah, basically, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> and then there's guys they took like in the second round that can't hit and don't have anything else. So. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. And then there's a just... bunch of like five starters. Yeah. And Andy Beltre. And Andy Beltre. He touched 97. He almost made the list. I guess I can tell the I mean, story because I didn't tell put, I, I meant put, to tell the story in the write-up, but I didn't tell the story there. But we were, uh, I think it was the last day we were sitting on Lakewood and whatever, boring-ass Lakewood-Greensboro game. And Beltre comes in, in like the seventh inning or something. And I get my radar gun out because it's a new pitcher. And the scout that's been sitting with us for the for the series just goes, don't bother. I'm like, all right. So I just keep it out. Because I want, I want to see for myself. I, I, I'm thinking this would be like 87 or something. First pitch, 95. So, so I turned to the scout, and he's like, that wasn't there three days ago. <laughs> <laughs> and he like hit 97, and the, the scout's radar gun comes out. <laughs> and now he made the Marlins list, and others of note. <laughs> I don't think he threw anything else, and it was like 20 command. Well, I mean, when the competition is... Yefri Perez. I mean, the guy's 26. <laughs> Going to be 26. He's not 26 yet. Oh, so he, he could have made the top 25. I come I mean, the top Willie 10, Harris, so I was pretty proud of that comp. <laughs> Tomas Delis made the 25 and under. I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. I mean... He would have made our top 10 if he had... If we didn't what, figure, like figure out like six hours before the list went up that he actually had like 47 days of service time. Oh, is that why I yeah, was a right. late call for Mariano on uh, the third? No, that was a different system. Yeah, that was me. Like, oh, yeah, I was so, like me sorry. frantically sending messages to Steve about like Austin Dean and I forget who their two guys were. It was two of their fifth starters. They all bleed together after a while. 
I think the most damning part of this was what that they didn't graduate a single player. I mean, their number four prospect from last year was a was a forty man casualty. <laughs> Kendry Flores. That's all you need to know. I was sad that we didn't get to spend more time. I mean, maybe we will on the Padres side, but we didn't get to talk about the stabbing very much. <sighs> the knife I, Frank was raised, knife Frank. But- we talked about a little in the opening segment and like how much it was fair to ding Stone Garrett for like having missed the entire season <laughs> because he was stabbed by a teammate. And he was actually yeah. like, I looked it up, he was hitting pretty well in May before, you know, he got stabbed in the hand. Like, it seemed to affect you coming back from... I mean, would Naylor have been one or two in this system? Probably He's, two. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I would say two or three. I know we haven't done the Padres list, but there's like hardly any chance he even makes their top ten, right? Yeah, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I'd be surprised I mean, they, too. They have a lot of depth. Yeah. At, that's a good system, but that's not like the best system in baseball. It's probably a top ten system. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's I, fair, I feel like it's very it's, flat and deep. Yeah, but the, right, exactly. It's a, it's a it's a very deep system, but I mean, so they basically system. tried to trade what would have been their second and third best prospects for two months of Andrew Castro and Colin Ray. Yeah, I covered this in wait, the essay, wait. Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, I don't wait know what they're doing. Castillo was the guy that was. I think Jared Cozart was a throw-in in there too, wasn't he? Yeah. Wait a minute, Jeff. I, I I don't want to spend more than ten minutes on this system, and and we could approach that. But I think you need to regale people with what the Marlins said about Castillo upon getting him back. Yeah, I said it in the first segment already, but I'll oh, say it did. again okay. for you, Greg. Okay. Yes, he's a. We definitely think he's a starter, and he's a future twenty game winner. And you, you traded him for Colin Ray. Colin Ray. <laughs> Call him up. Present day, he's probably better than Colin Ray. Oh, it's so good. I don't, also said, I don't know don't what is after happening After they signed uh, Wei-Yin Chen, they said, we think our starting rotation can compete with any team in the National League East. Well, there are teams in the National League East, I guess, that they... Yeah, I don't... That's I got nothing. Is He's there better than, like, uh, Adam Morgan. I don't even think Adam Morgan started for the Phillies this year. No, the Phillies are actually got a nice starting staff this season. Uh, I, I don't have time to get into Jeremy Hellickson. There's a chance Jeremy Hellickson's like their fifth best starter, though. They got sure, Nolan, they sure. got Velasquez, they got Eikhoff, they got Jake Thompson. Like, they got yeah. some dudes. Like, the real yeah, dudes yeah. are actually here. And, I, and I'm and i irrationally high on Jake Thompson, despite him looking like trash for... It looked really bad. I like Jake Thompson, too, but it looked really bad. I, I really like Jake Thompson in double A. Yep, me, too. Thompson. It's like 89 to 92 and just, ugh. The slider's turned into The like slider a wasn't one of them. Yeah, the slider's yeah. not, yeah. It's like separated into like a shitty cutter and like a shitty slurve. Not great, Bob. Not great. And still, he'd be by far the best. Uh, Prospect in the, the modern best. system? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he would want in this system. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think how far we're kind of doing this for the angel system, but with I, functionally they're both terrible. Um, how far down do you think you can go in the Mets list before we reach somebody that wouldn't make the Marlins top ten? 
I mean, so we, should I pull up our yeah, Mets pull up our spreadsheet, sure. Um. Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna blow the BP Mets twenty-one to thirty list. Um. Anyway, anticipated and read by thousands. So, Miranda Gonzalez is twenty. He definitely would have made this list, right? Yeah, he's like the better version of. I think I like him a little more than Drew Steckenrider because so he actually has a can- second pitch. I think Anthony K makes this list. I think Plank does. I think Guerrero. I think the answer is Nabil Crismat at twenty-seven. I kind of like Nabil Crismat. Okay, so <laughs> well, it's he's, like, no, he's like no, he's like no, no, that's fair. Crismat's like in that uh, fifth starter group of guys. So he's like Steckenrider or something. No, he's more like uh, who are the fifth starters? I don't like. I have a list of them. I don't even bother to remember their names. So I have to actually look it up. But it's like literally twenty seven or twenty eight. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, it's like. Uh, oh yeah, it's like Jake Esch. Oh, like Jake oh, Esch. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Esch has more fastball, but. Craig, thank you for coming on again. I'm sure we will speak with you soon. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. And before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there. Episode 29 for all you kids out there is the official podcast of your Baseball Prospectus Mets local site. You can find us on the internet at baseballprospectus.com where I am just doing prospect list after prospect list after prospect list. And Jarrett is doing pitch review after pitch review. I assume they're off this week for Thanksgiving. Off this week for Thanksgiving, two episodes left. I am doing a chat on the main site on Tuesday. I was going to get to that. Okay. I was going to plug your chat. Okay. It'll be 8 p.m. on Tuesday, so you'll probably... Should be before most people listen to this, so feel free <laughs> to ask me any questions about, you know, baseball, the bets, Gilmore Girls, Goldberg. Another thing that happens this Friday. You're going to have a jam-packed Friday. Yeah, I know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I... I one of my coworkers has already taken the day off, so I can't take the day off. You, I don't, might get, just, you like, don't get the Friday after Thanksgiving off? Oh, I guess you don't because no, no. your line of work. Yeah, you kind of got to yeah, be. Yeah, uh... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do work for a retail-facing company, so we are open the Friday after Thanksgiving. Of course. Yeah. I don't have, like, any – you know, I'm just working my normal Friday 9 to 5. But Yeah. I've got to figure yeah. out my Saturday because – Buddy of mine wanted to go to the They Might Be Giants show at Mohegan, but Wednesday is also on TV. I got a late ad against Wolverhampton that morning, so. That was the most Jeff sentence ever. I don't know if I can do both. At least without my wife threatening divorce. Surprised the prospect lists aren't already causing that. Oh, (laughs) you joke, (laughs) but yeah. Where was I? Uh, I think we were plugging my chat, and then we were going to plug our Twitters and do okay, some questions. Well, I got to get to where you can get the podcast, and you can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for For All You Kids Out There, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage, encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You want to get in contact with the show? We're on Twitter at For All You Kids. Jared's on Twitter at J.A. Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. Our guest, Craig Goldstein, is on Twitter at CD Goldstein. We also have a Facebook group at should Facebook.com. We plug, should I'm not we plug plugging Brady's, Brady's Twitter. Twitter. Will you let me get through this? 
Can we at least put everyday gourmets, Brady's olive oil? I'm sure. Look, I'm sure he hasn't even on yet. I'm sure we'll get to it. We also have a Facebook group. You can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash for all you kids out there. And of course, you can email the show at all you kids at baseballperspectus.com. And we have two emails this week. We'll start with the first one from Johnny Caps. Who are some guys who have fireman potential in the Mets system? Who are some non-closures across baseball you think will be good fireman if recast into that role? Subject to this email is Andrew Miller. Just to be clear, there are no Andrew Millers in the Mets system. I, well, I mean... You're going to say yeah, Thomas but, the Pucky, but... Yeah, so th- that's like Thomas the Pucky's like 95th percentile non-starter outcome. Sure. Actually, not 95th, like 99. Uh. Yeah. But if you're picking the closest thing to Andrew Miller is Thomas Zipaki. Yes. But general fireman potential. You know, Justin Dunn was the first one that came to mind for me. Justin Dunn's a good one because I think that stuff will be fine in two to three inning bursts. Uh, the other one that I thought of actually, and it doesn't count as being in the Mets system, and this is something I've beat back against for his entire prospect career quote-unquote but how about steven matz yeah if he never gets it together well steven matz could be andrew miller in some weird way yeah i just think i mean he's been could be a fastball slider reliever in five he's one of those guys though where even if you're going to get sort of 140 bulky innings out of him after out of a starter you're almost better off like miller really couldn't start i don't know if matz is at that level miller Miller, Miller was ineffective i mean he got hurt too but miller couldn't repeat that was the yeah. problem. He couldn't repeat. His release point got all over the place. I saw lots of Andrew Miller over the years. Lots of Andrew Miller. Yeah, and this, Dunn's probably a good answer. Um, you know, Dunn's not going to look like Andrew Miller. You know, he's an over-the-top, shorter right-hander. I wonder if but, that would be like a role that would work well for Yanoa too. Uh, Seth Lugo was someone that kind of came to mind a little bit here. Yeah. I think with Yanoa, you're not giving those guys a look second time through with that long arm action. The stuff will play up enough, but he doesn't seem to be like a, at least the way the Mets used him, like a get up, get down, one inning reliever. Didn't seem to go very well. So that could here's just be the, him never being in that role at any point in his career prior to that. Here's the honest to God's truth. There's one guy in the Mets system who could be Andrew Miller, and it's Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> that's the honest to God's truth. It's Noah Syndergaard. Right. And we've seen it already when he comes in yes. for like one inning and is yes, completely it's Noah, unhittable. It's Noah, it's Noah Syndergaard. What are some non-closers across baseball who you think will be good firemen if recast in that role? I mean, there's probably more guys that can do this. I don't think every reliever can do this, but more than you think. But there's very few non-closers that are as good as Andrew Miller. I was looking at this for... I, bizarrely, I was looking at something pretty close to this question for another project about an hour ago, and they just, like, once you get behind, like, Andrew Miller and Kelvin Herrera, they just, like, they're either all closers or they're, like, erratic, sometimes good, sometimes not quite so like good Brad guys. Brad had a randomly great season this year. Brad Brock. Like, the next best guy at, like, this level is probably, like, Darren O'Day. Yeah. And that's a pretty stark drop from, like, Kelvin Herrera to Darren O'Day. Darren O'Day is a very fine pitcher. Yeah. 
but Dire No Day has also kind of been used like this, too. Sure. Like, the non-closers really kind of have been used like this or become closers. Dellen Batantis and Herb Miller himself yes, was closing uh, for the Yankees last year. Yes, the old, I forget, I think it was, it might have been Kevin Goldstein when Lincecum was coming up, sort of suggested that role for him as, like, the 60 appearance, 110-inning fireman type. That turned out Tim Lincecum could be one of the best starters in baseball for five or six years. Chris Sale. People thought this was the role Chris Sale was going to end up in. And Chris Sale's been one of the best starting pitchers in baseball instead. And like if Miller... Miller was an excellent starting pitching prospect, as we've said before on the show. If he could have, you know, kept his delivery together for 100 pitches at a time... And they tried for five years. He could have easily turned into Chris Sale and... Tim Lincecum, that quality of a starting pitcher. The stuff's there, obviously. And that five years they tried before they moved him to, to short or relief. Yeah. He's not you know, guys really in short. Yeah, guys at that prospect level, and same thing will happen with Matt's. Get every opportunity to start. Because sometimes to, you get Chris Sale. To me, the more interesting question is which closers could be recast into that role. Now, Kenley Jansen looked pretty good at it. Uh, yeah, that was one that I immediately thought of. I, there really aren't that many other ones. Wade Davis, maybe. Because, again, Wade Davis basically was in that role yeah. before Greg Holland blew his elbow out. And Davis was a mediocre starter, but he could probably go two like a, here like and a there. four. Yeah. You know. Again, David Robertson, that's another guy who was in that role at one point. Zach Britton was in that role at one point. Sam Dyson was in that role at one point. Roberto Asuna. These are all it's guys just, that could be in that it's role. It's just tough because relievers are so volatile. Except for the high-end closers. Right, but you don't know if the high-end closers are the high-end closers until they do it for a few years. Sure. It's one of those sort of like, you know, post-hoc things. And like and literally... The only guy that's been in this role for like three or four years, super dominant, and hasn't gotten a chance to close is Kelvin Herrera. It's like one. Our next email is from Josie. Jeff and Jarrett last year on Amazing Avenue Audio. I asked Jeff and co-host that I think ended up being Greg. I think think that's right. What would each of the high playing time Mets get on the open market if they were a free agent in in that off-season market today, including those that weren't closed from a service time perspective? I think it might be even more interesting this year to do between Syndergaard's great season versus the rest of the staff's lack of health. So if you're willing, can you play the what would they get if they were a free agent right now game for each of the starting caliber caliber position players, rotation, and bullpen pieces? Please include your main man, Wilmer Flores, and Jose Reyes as starting caliber for this exercise. We really have to do Jose Reyes. Look, it's an intellectual exercise. We don't have to do anything. i got to find the 2016 New York Mets... BRF page, though. That's going to yeah, take me a second. Up. I probably that's could have loaded this up ahead of time. Excellent radio here. Yeah. Okay, let's just start. Travis Darno. Oh, fuck if I know. It's 276 I mean, playing uh, plate appearances count as meaningful playing time. I mean, I guess for Travis Darno it does. So I think... When you would sign him to a one-year deal, he would then be arbitration eligible on the other side. So I think you would sign him to a one-year deal. So I would say probably like one year, eight million. Yeah, it sounds about. What's Jason Castro going to get? I know Castro is a better 
version of this profile, but wouldn't be controllable. I mean, it sounds like Castro is going to get multiple years and maybe yeah. the eight to ten million range. Yeah, it seems about right. Um, <laughs> James Loney. <laughs> uh, is James Loney going to get a major league deal? I mean, he is literally a free agent, so <laughs> I think so. We can just watch this play out. I, but yeah, it's, so, again, it's a tough. It's tough unless you need a first baseman. And if you need a first baseman, you probably want a better first baseman than James Loney, which is how James Loney ended up in the Padres AAA team in the first place. He was just so bad at the end. Oh, I know. <sighs> Neil Walker actually literally did sign a contract, so we'll skip him. Yeah. That's Dribble Cabrera. Uh, he certainly beat 2-16 and 16 with an option, I think. Yeah, um... I feel like something close to the Johnny Peralta contract, maybe? Is that 452? I believe so. Yeah, I could see something in that general range. I was thinking more like a little bit more than Murphy, but... Because he's the same age as when Johnny Peralta... He's actually a year younger than when Johnny Peralta signed that. And I think kind of a similar caliber of player and kind of a similar like on the bounce back. Yeah, and like, I, I, guess, also, like, I guess inflation takes that. care of the rest. I also right. weirdly associate that because they were together for a number of years. Yeah, you know, bad defense, shortstop. Hits for some pop. Jose Reyes? So I mean, we're assuming I th- he's a free agent, free and clear. So this was the thing, because had Jose Reyes not had the team option, he probably would have beaten the money that he had coming to him. Right. Well, maybe not. I well, mean, the Rockies all $26 million. I wonder if they would structure I don't some think... weird-ass multi-year deal where he only gets like a couple million the first year. But th- there's, still four, there's still a $4 million offset for 2018, too, for the option buyout. Yeah. Um, I think he probably gets two years coming off of last year. Maybe like two years, $20 million. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be 34. Can't really play shortstop anymore, but he's like a useful... He's David like the, Freeze did. David Freeze did get squeezed pretty bad last off. Yeah, but Reyes didn't actually like start for a lot of teams. He's not that I much think. better than David Freeze. Yeah, I think he's better than David Freeze still. That was also a little bit of a weird deal. Michael Conforto. Oh God, who the fuck knows? Yeah, that's what you, when like you get to like the really low service time guys that aren't like already established. It's just. I don't know. Like, we're going to get to Cindergard, but I mean, like, Cindergard, the answer is going to be, like, hundreds and hundreds of millions. Right, right. But that's, like, for, like, the good established guys, that's not that. So, again, I keep making this argument. I made this argument in the annual. I made this argument in on some, in uh, the Mets under 25. Like, I think our viewing of Conforto as a failure in 2016 is incorrect. It's because of the ordering of things, and it's right. not in a way that really mattered. So I think the answer is still like, you know, six years, eighty or ninety million. Yeah, it's kind of like the generic, like good, older but still young Cuban player contract. I guess is sort of the. Yeah, like, yeah, that's kind. Of, that's where I, yeah, you know, kind of built that off of it's a little bit more than that but he's also had a success had success in the major league already too like that's like yeah 
that that's like that's kind of where I'm thinking. Um, Cespedes is obviously going to sign somewhere. Or the Mets are going to pay. <laughs> you know, five one twenty five, sure. whatever. Uh, Granderson's an interesting he one. Is. Would, Gra- would Granderson beat the contract he has now? Which is one twelve, one thirteen, whatever the last year that deal is. All right, I think so. I think so. I think he get yeah. two years from like like. I think he like, would be- get like Beltran's probably going to get that right. That one. Well, Beltran year apparently only wants one year. Sure. I think Granderson would probably get about two years and about thirty million. Yeah, that seems about right. Um, Wilmer Flores. Yeah, that the handmate makes it so tough. Yeah, it does. Again, without the handmate, so Lords Guriel just signed for seven years and twenty-two million, which is functionally a lot more than that because he has an arbitration kill clause, so it's functionally going to be like seven years and forty or fifty million. Right. What? Pretty similar profile to Wilmer Flores. And Wilmer Flores has already had major league success, and they're basically the same age. Wilmer's a little bit older. Wilmer's like a year older. Yeah. So I I think you have I think again you have to be like, you know, six or seven years, fifty, sixty million. I just wonder if, if you don't have a starting role for these guys, you really want to commit that many years. But Wilmer Flores starts for a hell of a lot of teams at second or third base. I guess that's probably true. Wilmer Flores had a 788 OPS no, last year as a, 20, as a 24-year-old that's a capable second or third baseman. And there are not, you know, a lot of teams are looking for right-handed power. This is a guy that's hit 16 home runs in both of the last two years, the ages 23 and 24. And in a little over a half season of playing time both years, functionally. Right. I mean, a lot of that is leveraging his platoon, though, so I don't know how, many, how much additional power you're going to get from him as a full-time player. Sure. Um, <laughs> Alejandro Deaza. Does Deaza beat an NRI? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Renee Rivera, which we were just talking about, I think probably gets about one year and about three million. Yeah. Kelly Johnson. So this is kind of a Kelly Johnson prediction game. <laughs> I think Kelly Johnson probably gets something close to what Kelly Johnson got last off season, which was like, like a year and two five. Or something. Oh, yeah. Three, four. He'll get one year and like less than five million. And he just keeps being an above average hitter. Is the funny thing? Are we Jay past Bruce? the point? Right, well, we've Jay no, Bruce we've and... we've got more guys. There's I know, but like it's like significant. He said like starter level. So yeah, but all the starter level guys that missed injuries. All right, um, Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce, I feel like if made a free agent, would get like a really stupid contract, like the Josh Reddick deal or something. There seem like to be a that. lot of people inter- teams interested in him. So. So are we saying like four fifty two? That's the I don't know if I can quite go that far, but maybe three years, like three thirty nine. Uh, he's still yeah. Jesus. He's still only twenty nine. All right, so we basically got three more regulars. Yeah, uh, uh, Lucas Duda. So that's an interesting one. That's a very interesting one. What did Kubel get as a free agent? He got like four thirty-two or something, yeah, something like that. Twenty-seven. I'm gonna look it up. I think Duda beats that, but the Mets always flirted with the idea of not tendering him. Yeah, Uh, Kubel got. Oh, it's hard to tell. Um, Fifteen got two fifteen. Okay, was it? I think I feel I feel like there's an option in there that probably didn't get. 
yeah. exercise. But I mean, I think he beats that. Yeah. He would the like, he gets. I mean, would you rather have Lucas Duda for three thirty nine or Jay Bruce for three thirty nine? I think a, we may be a little biased here. Duda's a year older. Uh, they both should probably be first base. They're both at this point comparable right fielders. <laughs> Let's not go that. All right, fine. But they both should be first baseman. Uh, I don't know. know. Jay Bruce, you're probably getting a little more batting average due to a little more walks. Um, unless you want to talk about Kevin Pulecki, which might be an interesting one. We have two regulars left. I'm not talking about Kevin Pulecki. Juan Magaris. Does Juan Magaris beat what he has left? I don't think so. Juan Magaris we're getting has three into years the expensive 20, years now. He has three years and $20 million left. I mean... Even fourth outfielders go could go for a little bit more than that, I think. And there I think be... he actually does. Yeah. But not by much. I think it's probably a neutral value contract. The last one's kind of sad, David Wright. This was sad last year when we did it too, by the way. <laughs> I think the answer is like one year and like $10 million. Does he even get that? I think an AL team actually does give him that under the hope that he can revive as a DH. So it's like the Josh Johnson make good deal, but for a hitter, essentially. Yeah, maybe right. one year, six million with incentives to twelve. Yeah, that sounds more plausible to me. Uh, so let's run through pitchers quickly. Bartolo, we know what he got. <laughs> Bartolo, we know what he got. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, it's I don't just know, like 15, I don't even... fifteen years, four hundred million. Okay, come on, take it easy. But there's literally never been a free agent with this right, profile. I think it destroys year. the record. You think he gets more than Kershaw? I don't think he gets more than Kershaw is going to get in two years, but I think he gets more than Kershaw got last time, yeah. How did Kershaw get, like, what was it, functionally, like, 7200 Functionally, but there were also arbitration years being bought out there. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I was thinking, like, ten, three hundred million. I think that might be light. I just, I don't, I think teams are going to be a little gun shy on pitchers for that kind of a deal. Jacob DeGrom, I think probably like Xerox is a David Price deal. Yeah, sure. So what was that? If you assume he's healthy. Yeah, and so was that like seven, two something or something? Uh, Steven Matz is an interesting one. He is. I think you'd want. I don't know how you want to structure this. Probably more years, but less AAV. So again, something like one of those like weird Cuban contracts. Like yeah, like six AAV or... or eight years for eighty billion or something like that. Yeah. Matt Harvey's a really interesting. I think he gets one. the Josh Johnson one year, ten million dollar make good. Probably okay. I was going to suggest that he got something similar to what Johnny Cueto got. Really? So we're way apart on that one. Sure. I think from Mike Harvey's point of view, he would he would want the make good. Well, Johnny Cueto has an opt out after two. That's that's true. I guess you could structure it that way. Yeah. I just think I like if I went back to what we said about Harvey last year. I'm sure it was some like eight two hundred or something like that. Sure, is, that's all. There's a story about how this stuff quickly this stuff changes. Yeah. Uh, Jerry's familiar. I mean, what's the whatever the? Let's assume he's good not pl- suspended. Not. You know, well, I mean, functionally, you're going to give him whatever. 570, 575. Yeah, he's going to get the good, whatever the good closer deal is in this market. 
Uh, Addison Reed probably going to get something close to the Andrew Miller deal, like th- four years, thirty-six million. I was thinking uh, Brett Cecil actually. That's four years, thirty-one million. Same yeah. difference. Uh, Hansel Robles. Do we want to do Hansel Robles? He's getting like he's getting like the two-year, twelve million generic relief video, dude. Yeah. Jerry Blevins. What do we think Jerry Blevins is going to get? You thought he was going to get like two. I think we both agreed two years, but you had like way higher AAV than me. Yeah, I think like probably 16, 18. I don't think it's quite. I could see. Yeah, I guess I could see it going that high. Uh, anybody interesting to discuss? Robert DeSalvin. That's a fun one because again, it's sort of like how do you? I think we're into like the Cuban territory again. Because like when you start like like Josh Smoker would get like the two year eight million dollar deal, so it's like not that much fun to talk about. But like Gisellman or Lugo are kind of weird. Yeah, Lugo maybe like a three year thirty six type thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't Somebody know. buys those spin rate numbers, dude. I guess, but. I mean, Gisellman, oh god. Yeah, that's just a weird one. So what's the value of a top XX prospect, essentially? I mean... Like the I monetary the value... Numbers. Yeah, like the monetary value... Of the... Yeah. Of a so, top 50 prospect that's not a top 10 prospect? I don't know. It's kind yeah. of like... I've looked at the recent numbers. I feel Six like it's... Six years, 50 million or whatever? Something in that general vicinity, yeah. Well, that's probably in the... It, the thing with somebody like Gesellman is Gesellman could cause a market to go crazy because there's only one of them. Right. That's the you got a market uniqueness. Of, uh... That's why I'm assuming Syndergaard's numbers would just go completely astronomical because there's only one Syndergaard. Whereas, well, we've seen this before with like the the guys that Boris got made free agents in sure, the draft Bobby some years Shane back. And, yeah. Yeah. Travis Lee. And what they got, not not what they got, but what they got sort of compared to comparable drafted players. You know, and you've seen it on the Cuban, you know. Yeah, Mankata got, he didn't get all of it, but essentially he cost $63 million plus probably about 20 more in opportunity cost. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you're making Jake DeGrom a free agent entering his age 29 season, like, Aces yeah. entering that area... Shake free, like you know, on average, probably about once an off season. Yep. There isn't one this off season, but there were two last. Yep. All right. As much as I'd like to like go all the way down to Fernando Salas, I think we have to finally bring Brady on. Let's bring Brady on. Hi, Brady. Rick Porcello won the Cy Young Award. I'm sorry. Who? Rick Porcello. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know that guy. What's his name? Uh, Rick Look, if Porsche. you look up pronunciations on Baseball <laughs> Reference, the same site that like refers to uh, like David Wright as Captain America, I don't recognize oh that. As a good Italian, I, it's Porcello. That's from the WBC. That's actually a thing. Hmm. Didn't know that. Well, there are yeah, other terrible, what... not in any way, shape, or form official nicknames I can find on people's Baseball Reference pages. The Melville Meteor. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for example, <clears throat> sorry, Weed Mouse. Their uh, their nickname databases can be uh, can be kind of fun. It's basically just whatever Sean decides to add when somebody emails them. It's yeah, not a state secret, I don't think. Hmm. So yeah, he won the Cy Young. He didn't deserve it. He wasn't particularly great, but 
Yeah, that's what happens when you don't have any standout candidates. The guy with 22 wins takes home the gold. So you're on the show now. What do you want to talk about? This is your segment. Well, I was going to actually like bother to do prep for this, but then we ended up staying out for six hours, and I got home, and I didn't get to watch like any Porcello from 2015. But... It's like the story of every podcast I do, so... <laughs> Is, uh, we actually prep for this? Yeah. Jesus, come on now. Well, I mean, no, that's why you guys go three hours long. Yeah, it's, uh, after last week I had an agenda and didn't like the show, I just threw that out for this week. I had to actually, Jared, what are we talking about this week? <laughs> I remember the Brett what Cecil thing at the last second before I closed the segment at least. <laughs> our, our agenda is usually 90 seconds before we start recording. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I have. I actually made a little agenda. Rick Porcello, Tokyo Dome Show, Takeover Survivor Series, and that's all I got. Sounds about right uh, for the third segment. That's actually yeah. that's actually a pretty good order, too, because we usually try and stick the wrestling at the end. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. I know y'all guys format. I'm a, you know, day one listener. Got you it. Haven't e- you haven't emailed us in, like, three weeks. Jared was worried. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I was kind of, I was kind of, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is. Uh, delighted, I guess. <laughs> All right, Rick Porcello. What do we got on Rick Porcello? So, uh, what did y'all feel about that extension when it was signed? I thought it sucked. Yeah. Same. Yeah, that was... I mean, it might still suck. (laughs) No, it doesn't I mean, I guess at this point, yeah. Uh, That's the thing, like... banked, like, what, $45 million of war per dollar, so... I don't like going back and retroactively looking at uh, extensions or contracts saying, oh, it was actually good, because if he would have hit the free agent market at the time, he would have gotten... I mean, he probably would have taken a pillow contract for $10 million and had this season, then been in line to make major money, but uh, at the time, that was a really crappy deal when Ben Charrington was decided to uh, overvalue age and mediocrity. So maybe we can give them credit for realizing that he was... I don't know, going to miss more bats, I guess, because his problem was always... so pissed he's not on this segment at this point to yell at you about that. You know, his, okay, well, his so... problem was really always fastball command within the zone. Yes. We're going to touch improved. on that. It improved. Oh. Eh. <laughs> I'm afraid I've got some bad news. <laughs> uh, he left... So, things that uh, Porcello, like, notably changed from him to 2015 and 2016 is... Well, command within the zone to an extent. Uh, after April, like, he used to throw, like, slow, like, lollipop bullshit sweeping curve at, like, 72. It was just, it was, it was really shitty. Through it, he really started to add a, like, he started to throw a little bit harder, uh, became a lot more sharper, kind of became a, uh, kind of a second out pitch, because his out pitch is just, like, fastball, letter high, over the middle. And that's pretty much what he has to get swing and misses with, because he has a slider that's a 20 that jumped up to a 30 uh, that kind of also acts as a cutter, because his slider doesn't have any downward movement to it. It's just a lateral thing that kind of comes to 84. But uh, improved the curveball. Command got a little bit better of the sinker, at least, because he throws a four-seam and a sinker. Uh, Sinker... He's weird with it. Like, he'll throw it high in the zone sometimes and just kind of grip it and rip it. Uh, throws it glove side, low a lot. Uh, he leaves a lot of them over the middle of the plate, though. And if you watch the uh, well, when game you're trying one to the... throw your sinker glove side, that does tend to happen. Yeah, but I'm talking about, like, 
cock like cock shot fastball. And like usually when uh, he gets Dick High like Brady. Sorry. Dick High garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean he'll do it with a sinker, he'll do it with his four seam, where he'll just decide to just say fuck it and throw it right down the middle or miss a spot by a good six to eight inches. And you'll end up getting what happened in game one of the ALDS where he gives up three home runs. I don't know how this did not happen more during the year. It should have happened more during the year, but it didn't. So he ended up winning 22 games and having like a low three ERA and was like second in the league in batting average against. So Rick Porcell like legitimately does have a really good two seam fastball. At times that is all he has. And his command of it has not always been great, but he's... You know, he's been, what, in the league for eight years now, and he's been about a league average pitcher. Is that it? It feels like more. It does feel like he can Yeah, I know. He, he's, he's only 27, too. I know, because the Tigers, like, called him up out of A-ball or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, he was basically, he spent one year in the minors and was horrendously underdeveloped in a period where the Tigers horrendously underdeveloped, guys. And this is what happened. They also basically did the same thing to Andrew Miller, um, which was not an insignificant factor there, too, mm-hmm. although he got traded. They had a rep for a while. Yeah, they did. Um, not just position players, not just pitchers, either. They did it with position players, too. Nick Castellanos is an sure. example of that. Um, they rushed guys, and that was, you know, <coughs> something they were known for. And, you know, hey, we don't know. Going that- back to, like, Jeremy Bonderman. Right. Oh, yeah. We don't know that he would have turned out any differently had he... Sure. But, you know, hey, he's got a Cy Young Award, so it's not like a total developmental failure. And he's had... This isn't the only good season he's had, either. He's had three seasons with a good ERA. But... His rookie year, he had a 114 ERA+. plus. I mean, the next four years weren't really kind to him, but that's not bad. You know, he was... And he's another, like, he was the 27th pick in the draft, but he was, like, one of the top three prospects that year. It was a Boris drop back when the Tigers just got every Boris guy that drops. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't think this is that interesting of a story other than, A, Jeffrey said something stupid, and B, Kate Upton made a really funny tweet. That's definitely not a story. (laughs) And Kate Upton made a really funny tweet. Okay, how many pitchers, I'm going to use the expansion era so we get closer to... That's not even as many as that. That's what I thought it would be. That's not funny. What's like the five man rotation era? Like eighty four ish. Uh, yeah, late mid to late eighties. Does it coincide with the uh, the uh, bullpen revolution and the one inning closer? Roughly, yes. It's a little before that. So. They're similar, and they were in- instituted for similar reasons, mostly by Tony La Rosa. Yeah. So pitchers that had more wins through their age 27 season than Rick Porcello in the five-man rotation era. It's going to be like three, right? It's five. One of them's probably Kershaw. It is. Mm-hmm. Number one is Dwight Gooden, and that doesn't even include his 1984. <laughs> yeah. uh, Johan Santana? No. Santana, no. don't forget, was like a Rule 5 dude that was a middle reliever right. for a year. Yeah, I figure I'd take a shot, though. Guys uh, that were called up really young. Greg Maddox? Yep. Randy Johnson? But even though he no. wasn't good Maddox until, like, he was uh, 30. Johnson didn't figure it out until he was, like, 28, yeah. Uh, right, but uh, I'm trying to... I can't think of so any I got other Maddox, I got Kershaw. I gave you Gooden. There's two more. There's two more. Are they 
They're both still guessable or are these guessable or? Oh yeah, very guessable. Okay. Um, Max Scherzer. No, you're missing like the really obvious one. Shit. Kershaw's not the really obvious one. No, more obvious than Kershaw. How old was Sabathia when he was called up? It's CC Sabathia's one. That's not the obvious one. That's not the obvious one. Oh, it's Verlander, isn't it? No. Oh, well, would that be the obvious? Hello? Madison Bumgarner? Bumgarner is at 100. Pacello has 107. Okay. I should say that Pacello is also tied with Pedro and Roger Clemens. Okay. Yeah, I'm out of guess. Chris Sale? Felix Hernandez. Oh. Yeah, the really obvious one. Yeah, yeah, 2006. Yeah, it would have been so much fun to have the community that we have now, back when Hernandez was uh, being called up. Because from everything I understand, he was just incredible from like 06, 07, 08. I mean, aren't, aren't we doing it with Julio Urias right now? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Julio Urias was, I mean, I haven't looked up his like strikeout totals. I do not have a good grasp of things that happened in Major League Baseball this year other than, like, Red Sox stuff. But he, like, he started out rough, but he wasn't, like, incredible. Whoa, 339 ERA, 25% strikeout ratio. Yeah, sure. That was still, like, in the a fairly high offense environment, too. <clears throat> and his stuff was, oh, he was throwing, like, 98, too. And yeah. he was a big-bodied, uh, what, Venezuelan? I believe he is from Venezuela. Yes. I could easily look this up, yeah. Like, when you see Felix Hernandez, like, you get more of a prospect boner than you do when you see Julio Urias, just because of the frame, the body, and the fastball. Well, I'll say best rando dudes in the top 20 of this list are uh, Alex Fernandez and Ramon Martinez. (laughs) (laughs) Alex Fernandez was somebody I was vaguely considering mentioning, so. I thought that was a shortstop. (laughs) (laughs) It's less interesting when I start going further down. Do we have anything so, else on Rick Porcello, or can we move on to the wrestling? Um, not a whole lot, other than he's not going to be this good again. He's going to regress a lot, and uh, no, David shit. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> way to go out on a limb, Brady. ERA last year, <laughs> and uh, David Price is still really, really good, except for the extra like couple of uh, dongs he gives up on sliders over the middle but other than that he's still really fucking good and so is Craig Kimbrell Craig Kimbrell oh my fucking god he is so much fun to watch didn't he walk like six guys per nine this I, I don't care he still has two 80 grade pitches and he just rips it and it's glorious <laughs> like there are some sliders that he threw that was, a, that was a pretty good thing to the NXT that you just totally missed by the way Oh, oh, every time I say glorious now, no matter the context, a like, little Bobby Roode picture pops to my head. <laughs> uh, I watched TakeOver last night on some random stream because I'm not subscribed to the WWE Network right now. Why not? Because, well, I unsubscribe because I don't give a shit about the product. Did and you get then... the 11 weeks free offer? Dude, you know how many fake emails I've signed up? <laughs> uh, I've I've gone through, like... 11 months worth of emails and then it finally just wouldn't take my old card anymore okay well yeah 
Um, I know what to tell now, you. now that Brady's admitted to several felonies on the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, did you see NXT, Jeff? For all you kids out there, does not endorse credit card fraud, just for the record. Um, um, I mean, so, I, so saw, the way, this is the I saw the main event. This I haven't gone back of, and watched the rest of it yet. This is the end of the baseball content. Yes, um, to be yep. clear. Would you, like, would you like to plug your olive oil, Brady, for the five people? I was about to go. It's like, oh, the, the, the rest is just wrestling and balsamic vinegar. Okay. <laughs> we actually just got done with the show. We did. We made a quite a bit of money. We made a huge amount of money for such a little itty-bitty show. Okay, and, that was a very uh, Donald Trump-sounding sentence. Yes, that's that, that's that's uh, that's the joke. Do you have a website okay. you want to plug so we get that out there before we start talking about like Bobby Roode's entrance? All right, so okay, so I want to just get this out there. I ham this thing up so much because Neil Kendrick just freaking thinks it's the cutest thing. But like, I took I took time out of school to help grow this business with my mom. Uh, we started after my dad passed away in 2011. We needed to like pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and that was the result as we like to say during sales we have like 14 of them because we have six balsamics six evoos and two dipping oils they're all seriously to say evoo on my podcast yes (laughs) extra six extra virgin olive yeah i know what it is well i mean other other people (laughs) half the other people that are going to be listening to this are like my friends on facebook aren't going to know what freaking evoo is all right, so, uh, yeah, our own original recipe took a long time to, like, two years in R&D to really get everything together. It took uh, the fall and winter quarters out of school from 2014 and 15, and now I'm finally back in full-time, thank God, because I was going crazy. And, uh, yeah, when I'm back in town, I help do shows, and it's fun. I've become quite a little salesperson. It's a blast. Uh, buy it if you want. It's really, really good. All right, we're done with that. You never actually plugged, like, the website or what the... (laughs) www.everydaygourmets.com, facebook.com slash everydaygourmets. Like us on there. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, let's talk about Bobby Roode now. Yeah, Bobby Roode's incredible. I can't believe they got a choir for him. Yeah, they they had, like, this, like teenage kids choir that basically i will say that children did a very good job of not like breaking character at any point during his entrance <laughs> so I will, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for too. that yeah well, bobby rude can't believe he's fucking bobby rude right now so <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing i mean like everyone's pointed this out right now but I mean, everyone's pointed this out by now but it's bobby fucking rude it's yeah. One half of uh, the beer money with James Gordon so riding the fucking boozer cruiser around TNA. There was a period where people were like, oh my god, Bobby Roode's really good and he's made for WWE. Why isn't he there? It was like 12 years ago. Yeah. Oh I mean, to be fair, like Consequences Creed is like selling more merchandise than anyone on the roster <laughs> right now. <laughs> Consequences Creed is probably like one of the 10 pet highest paid guys in wrestling right now. <laughs> it is funny how these things work. Um, and, anyway, and AJ Styles is another one of the ten. So I was watching the uh, table for three with New Day because I was really bored this weekend, and uh, like telling like the backstory on how Woods got like signed is pretty funny. The uh, the table th- for threes and the drive alongs are like really good, like right before you go to sleep, yeah. like half hour TV uh, products. So. Um, so when I would be listening to Brandy Carlisle, y'all would be listening to Table for Threes and Ride Along. Sure. Sure. Um, anyway. 
the one with Dan- the ones with uh, Brian uh, Danielson. They're awesome. E- everything he touches is just incredible. The uh, his his one with Ryback. Yeah, uh, was it the one where the, the table for three? The table for three with Ryback and whoever else is it's just the IC title hilarious. one or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, back at, like all these guys are only known for their IC titles. So, so, but like this is the crowd, and this is how over some of these NXT guys are in a sold out, like actual like NBA NHL arena. Bobby Roode versus the perfect ten tie Dillinger got, and this is awesome chant for the stare down. <laughs> well, see, here's the problem. Like, I'm already sick of the ten chance. It's going to be like okay. We're at the but point this is where. Just, it's, like, don't you worry, buddy. He's going to get caught up to the main roster. He's going to be dead in two weeks. Yeah, I know. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like Fred Bagel or whatever. But... Yeah. If you want to talk about, like, being, quote-unquote, actually catchphrase over, that's Ty Dillinger. So this was, like, a really weird card to uh, me because more I like didn't... Enzo? No, Enzo yeah, can Enzo's actually talk. Is a different... Yeah, Enzo's yeah. got charisma. I did not, like, come away from the TakeOver card thinking it was, like, one of the best cards of the year, which I actually did for Survivor Series. But then, like, you start looking match by match, and, like, TakeOver is a much better wrestling show. Sure. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, that the tag match was probably the best match of the weekend. Joe and Nakamura had a really good match. Rude and Dillinger had a good match. The women's match was okay. The... The uh, TMDK match was decent. I liked it. And Survivor Series was very mixed, I would say. Do we think How long did it end up going? They shorted it by 45 uh, minutes or so, right? Did it like 20. 20, yeah. They can end these things. They no longer have the pay-per-view constraints. They can just end it whenever the hell they want now. Which, I mean, it makes for more unpredictability because you're not looking at your clock. Okay, the main event starts at 10.21. I know it's ending at exactly like 10.54. I remember but, they did that once when uh, Rollins and Ambrose, it might have been at a Money in the Bank, like, last year. They had what seemed like a 40-minute long title match. It was probably only like 30, but it was the one where uh, Rollins, like, buried Ambrose in chairs, and he just does the, like, the, you know... Mummy Terminator hand through the chairs and the then just with the fake finish where up. like Ambrose leaves with the belt. Yes, yeah, that match went yeah, on the, forever. The dusty finish. Oh, so, God. I mean, do we have anything else to say over Takeover? It was a really good show. The booking was it's, it's NXT booking. It is what it is. Do we think they're calling up Nakamura off this? It appears no. they it appears they switch the title so they can switch it back again in Japan. God. Okay. Um. The- I have absolutely zero faith that they're going to do anything with anyone on this roster at the main level. And I'm going to be really, really sad when I see them all go and get buried. Well, not buried, but 50-50 into nothingness. I think Asuka would be probably be fine. Asuka, they have no plans to call up. Asuka's just supposed to be in NXT forever. <laughs> really? Like, she's, liter- she's literally signed to an NXT contract, not, a, not like one of the ones where they plan to call you up. That's so weird. She's, she's there as like a player coach kind of thing. Now, granted, so was Joe when he was signed, and those plans have changed. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Although Joe is still in NXT, and Joe should have been up a year and a half ago. Joe should have been up 12 years ago. Like, yeah, that early. was like my one takeaway from the Joe Nakamura match, which I liked a lot. I thought it was much better than their first one. It's just, he's like a step slower now. Just everything's kind not of almost, quite as crisp it, as it used to be. Kind of almost works for his gimmick now. It does, and he, his his 
like actual match psych and layout is still pretty good. He's got I mean, he's not on like good, Nakamura's level, but he's got incredibly good presence in the ring. Like yes, he's always he in the right spot, and he's always, you know, he has he has great facials. He's an insanely charismatic individual. Yeah, and part of yes. this I think is like NXT doesn't want him to work as quickly as he did in ROH, <laughs> but. It's and also, I just don't know if he's He might not be. He might not be. Capable. Everything just seems like a, a, like a half back, step like. slow from what it was from what I remember at his peak. Which I, I mean, mean I, reasonable because his peak was like 10 years ago at this point. Right. I mean, he was having those matches with, you know, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and TNA. Those matches were like 2005. Yeah. You know, that's when he had. Let's see Go ahead. When he had his crazy ROH title run, that was in 03 and 04. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I think, almost every single one of those defenses, and they were all really good. When he had the match where Kobashi beat the shit out of him, that was in 05. Right. I remember there was some, like, crazy double-juice cage match with Jay Briscoe in the Elizabeth-like arena next to the Ikea. I remember that match. That sounds like so much fun. I saw that on DVD. Yeah, it was, I was right in the front row for it. It was great. Yeah. And I was with like oh a bunch God. of guys. Like my like indie wrestling crew at the time did not like Joe at all, and they were finally like won over by that match. Yeah, that was like back in the day where you had to like basically die to like prove your yeah bona fides. And then if That's... you if you were off the show, the show after you died, you would be turned heel by the crowd. That happened to Nigel McGuinness. Yeah. <laughs> was this around the time when? Uh... But Eddie Guerrero sliced his forehead open so deep that he was just like losing blood at that some been, insane that rate. That was a couple years earlier than really that. Yeah. But like this, like three to four year time frame was just when everyone was slicing themselves open willingly and having the bloodiest matches of all time. Eh, I don't well, know. Like in WWE history. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I mean, like, who knows what they're doing in like those crazy Japanese death matches or CZW. Nick Gage, he's out. Is yeah, Nick again. out again? Nick Gage is out. He's free. Is he, uh, yeah, is he appearing him. on the next CCW show? I have no idea, but I really hope so. I remember saying Nick <laughs> I, Gage. I, I think go. it was maybe 2000 and, I think it was 2002 or 2003 Tournament of Death. It was like during the IWA Mid-South crossover stuff. Back when he was fat. Yeah, it was like Corporal Robinson and Necro Butcher back when they were like not super known on the East Coast. That's like the most hipster thing I've said on the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it just like it's like people at this like back patio bar in Dover, Delaware, because they couldn't run Jersey at the time. <laughs> like screaming at Nick Gage to take his shirt off when he goes through the light tubes because it's like <laughs> it's like you can't be a hardcore Jesus. icon if you have your shirt on. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Tokyo Dome before we go into Survivor Series and Goldberg? Oh, I need to find the card first, because I know, like, Dave posted it, but that was, like, a while ago. I mean, it's uh, Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada. Five stars. I mean, it's going to get five stars regardless. Oh, God, that match is going to be fucking amazing. Uh, Kenny Omega, holy shit. So I started watching this stuff during the G1, and Kevin and I tried to do some podcasts, but my recording quality was just so bad on my end that... None of them ever got posted, but we just glowed over the final. I don't know if we ever got to the final three days of it, but the final three days of that show were just, holy shit. That was insane. I had never seen anything like it. And I'm so happy that I was like, man, I love this first round so much, Dave. Why do I have to look forward to? He's like, oh, just wait until the you know final three days. They're going to knock your socks off. And yeah. 
You know what the crazy thing is? The final three days in 2015 were, like, way better, too. Right. I don't know if you've ever seen those matches. But Not yet. Yeah, that was... They did... Uh, what was it? it was Nakamura versus Okada, then it was AJ versus Tanahashi, and then Nakamura... Oh. And then the last Nakamura-Tanahashi match is the final. So, like, the blow-off to their 15-year program, basically. And 2014 was, like, the better tournament overall, right? 2014 was the best tournament overall, yeah, but it was more spread out. Although the final that year was... That was... Was that the Okada? I think that was the first Okada-Nakamura match. Uh, which wasn't actually the first one, but the first one since Okada became Okada. It's like the first Okada-Tanahashi match was like Tanahashi beating him up as a young boy, but nobody counts uh, that one or the couple other ones. Uh, So that's not the one at New Beginning? No. No, they had... uh, They had... um, Okada's going away matches against Tanahashi. did like a 12-minute semi-competitive job um, for him, but they had had matches before then, just like... You know, like, uh, Jay White has matches against dudes, and they're just, like, not. Actually, right. he's not anymore, but who's the new guy? Henry or something like that. Henry what? No. Uh, no Juice? Was, yeah, Juice Robinson. There you go. Yeah, no, there's a new one, the... like, Henare or something like that. Yeah, two new young two new young boys opened up the um, first World Tag League show that I was watching, and I, I watched them do, like, a shoulder block spot, and I was like, fuck this, not watching anymore. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing them in, like, CMLL or ROH in three years. So, we've we've also got Tanahashi versus Naito. Oh, my God. That's going to be so good. I don't, Tanahashi's looked really not so hot recently. But we'll he had a five-star match at the G1. This is true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Betting it, betting it, everybody has five-star matches at G1. Um, anyway, I... Speaking of young boys, we have the return of Kabataichi uh, versus Kushida. I was not so blown away by that Dragon Lee match. Everyone would just piss themselves over. Which one? The one where the the first one where that got Dave's eye, where they power bond each other on the mats, and because uh, I went and watched their whole series up to that point, like the mask match and all that, and I was just kind of like, I don't think Lucha's for me because I mean I mean I tried to watch an uh, Arena Mexico show with Champ Julius. And I was just like, yeah, I just, just don't really like it. It's a lot of, you know, awkwardness, sloppiness, and, you know, just slow shit. Until you get to, like, the main event where you get to see people like Volador and uh, Rey Azteca or uh, Cavanario or Atlantis. And they just come out and they're just fucking perfect and it's glorious. But, uh, yeah, like, I just didn't get a big kick out of their match. I just did a bunch of really stupid shit. That pretty much sums it up. And then uh, the rest of the card is pending um, the tag league, I guess. Kushida's awesome, though. He's going to have a great match with him. So um, The Young Bucks are probably going to wrestle Rapongi Vice. The, yeah. the, the girls of Destiny are going to wrestle somebody. Yeah. Hiroki Goto wrestle probably the King of Darkness Evil or somebody mm-hmm. like that. Dude, Evil's awesome. I love that dude. Uh, I'm sure Shibata... The rumor's been Shibata versus Cody Rhodes. I don't know if that match is actually going to happen. But... I uh, Latest I heard, it was Go Shizaki. Okay, well, that is actually probably a better match. So... Yeah, I think they just had that match with Noah, and it was okay. It was like, you know, your three-and-a-half-star match. But it was also, like, in Noah with bad cameras in front of a nothing crowd. And, and Shibata's also front. been trying to not, like, destroy every part of his body in the past couple of months. 
And at the Tokyo show, he's got it's Tokyo show. He's got, like gonna destroy every part of his body, and it's gonna be awesome. Yes. All right, we should probably talk about Survivor Series now, since I assume that's going to be the bulk of this segment. Oh, good. Are you done oh, talking yeah. about New Japan on my podcast now? <laughs> Is there any Dragon Gate guy going to appear at Wrestle Kingdom, Jeff? I don't think so. They don't really have. I mean, they've sent guys over for like Best of the Super Junior, but that's about it. Is Tozawa right. coming over yet? Tozawa's already Tozawa's in over. Florida, yeah. His last show was God. a couple weeks ago. Dude, call his ass up. I miss that guy. He was awesome. I love him. Oh, he'll pop up on 205, 205 Live, Live wrestling yeah. random six-man tag matches against uh, the Bollywood boys. Oh, fuck them. <laughs> Dude, I mean, oh ho, my ho, God. Lun. Oh, <laughs> the Bollywood boys and ho ho Lun. You, you don't put you don't put a put together a fucking tournament with Zack Sabre Jr. and Kota Ibushi as like two of the final four and then not sign them. It wasn't for lack of trying. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they didn't oh, try I to sign Oh, I can imagine. Him. Yeah, Kota Ibushi's just a weird dude, and Zack Sabre's like, oh, I got more to do in old Britain. Okay. Um, so, did you go back and watch any of the stuff you didn't watch, stuff? No, I just saw the top two matches. I assume you saw the entire thing, Brady. Oh, hell no. I only saw the final two matches. <laughs> okay. I mean, essentially, the women's match was nothing. It's the- expected. I, Bailey and Charlotte were their survivors, and then Charlotte turned on Bailey. It was exactly what anyone, you expect. How can anyone give a shit about the women anymore? I mean, like, I love them. God bless them. And, like, Becky Lynch is... I, I, I fucking love Becky Lynch. They had like, Becky Lynch tap out Nia Jax clean. You, was, yeah, I was so, I was so happy yeah. for that. Get her over. But, I mean, there's there's nothing aside from, you know, the Four Horsewomen and maybe Nikki. Oh, uh, Nikki like, got taken out pre-match. Yeah, I saw that. They needed an insta-feud. And I like Natalia, too, but I've just, I've seen it. So, I mean, there's there's nothing new with her. Uh, the Kendrick-Kalisto match went to a double disqualification. Oh, yeah. They both got killed by Baron Corbin. This is really like 1999 WCW. <laughs> like Kevin Nash, it, Lon Dart, and Rey Mysterio into the yep, trailer. Vince, Vince gave it two months. <laughs> Dude. It I is am, now I over. Am, Brian needs to hire me to do like advertising for his school because I have some kick-ass parody songs written up for him. Um, Sami Zayn and The Miz had the, since we were in Canada for Survivor Series, they had to do a Montreal finish. So that was the match that did the Montreal finish in. How was it? It was a Miz match. It was I mean, lately, so they lately did... that's been an okay match. They did Zayn. It was fine until the finish. Zayn had... Um, Zane had Miz and I think the figure four and Maurice forced the timekeeper to ring the bell and then they did the confusion and then the confusion he Roll got up. pulled up. Yeah. Okay. At least hit him with your move. Got to get your shit in. I hate these roll-ups. The tag match went about, I think it went about 35 or 40 minutes. They eliminated the New Day right at the start in like a shock flash roll-up, which is <laughs> kind of cool. Um, get that record. It turned in as the match was progressing into basically just like a Cesaro spotlight section, and Cesaro and Sheamus were the sole survivors. It sounds like fun. I might have to it, go back and that hunt was, that down. That was a good match. I would suggest going back. It was like, uh, I, have either of you guys like watched like the really old Survivor Series with the twenty man tags? I mean, uh, they tended, when they, they happened, tend, they no, tended to be but really I can good. imagine this was there. before you were born. 
uh, well, Brady. I um, so. <laughs> they were very good. This was like a <laughs> three and a half, three and three quarter star match. And then the only other. Quick. Yeah. Do you think Cesaro, they, do you think they put the belt on Cesaro at any point within the next five years? There's two belts, and yeah. they have no talent depth, so probably. I mean... He'll get, like, a it, Jack Swagger-level reign, if nothing yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, Finn Balor... Oh, just God, like I forget about title. that. Like, Finn Balor won the title, and if Finn Balor's winning the title, there's no reason Cesaro can't at some point. There are... Uh, they have two titles, guess, no depth. It can happen. I guess, the, I guess the positive, like, of having a million belts, like, let's say if he had, like, seven belts, and he had a, you know five hours of original programming had to fill is that you could guarantee that each of these guys would get a shot in the card. And I would love if Cesaro held one of those, like just, just give him the U S title and let him They've done you know, have some like, yes, yeah, so let him have a four star match with everyone. It would make me so happy. I, the, the role they haven't been the same as is fine. Actually is having really good tag matches with everybody. Yeah, but it's a bullshit storyline, and it's not going to go anywhere. And they're like, they're not going to put them together because they're not going to turn Sheamus. So they're going to probably end up feuding again. It's going to be a clusterfuck, and no one's going to give a shit. And afterwards, they're not going to have a plan for Cesaro because Vince doesn't think long term. WWE, right? Uh, so you guys both saw the last two matches. The so the ten man tag went like fifty five minutes, and I found it was like really divisive. I really liked it. I thought it was fifteen minutes too long to do what they wanted to do. Oh man, it flew by for me. I thought it was so, a really easy watch. I understand if you're going ninety seconds in your advertised main event with your other main eventers, you want to go you want to go really long to make people feel like they didn't get ripped. I can understand that. Yeah, sure. I mean, the booking was, like, terrible, regressive panic booking, but I kind of expect that from them, so. It was, and you know, none of it made sense, either. Right, Shane McMahon is, like, the... If Shane's in the match, Shane's going to be booked as the star of the match. It's yeah, just how it just... goes. Yeah. <laughs> and the crowd is fine with it. It's funny because he was, like, persona non grata with them for years and years and years, and now it's just like, whatever. We'll talk about this more when we get to Goldberg, but when they become persona non grata, they become bigger stars in absence. Yep, no, I know. Isn't that, like, everyone now? Because, I mean, like, if Cody Rhodes came back now, or let, not, not now, because he in hadn't had enough time to let it yeah. sink in. Yeah. I mean, after he, like, let's say he settles in at Ring of Honor and becomes a champion there and becomes known as a great worker. He's going to come back in five years. He's going to be cheered like a motherfucker. If CM Punk is the biggest star in the business. Right. Oh, my God. CM Punk. Oh, shit. Okay, and, he I was was never the biggest, and he was not the biggest star in the business when he left. And he oh, my God. Punk. Don't get me started. And had he stayed, he would be just the, he would be Randy Orton. But if he came back right. now, he'd be yeah. bigger than you could possibly imagine. And I'm sure yeah. at some point he will, because yeah, they all this, do. This always happens. You know, I I know everybody said, "Well, CM Punk's never going to come back." I I saw it's the fucking Ultimate Warrior. Baby. I saw the Ultimate Warrior and Bruno Sammartino come back. CM Punk's coming back. <laughs> I never have had the full Bruno story like told to me, so could you tell it to me real quick? So Bruno had a falling out with Vince Jr. over money and became increasingly disillusioned over drugs and uh, what he viewed as non-family friendly product and oh. basically had nothing to do with them for 30 years. And eventually they 
coincidentally, Joseph Maroon, who runs their concussion program, their concussion and drug protocols, um, happened to be Bruno's personal doctor. And through that, Bruno became personally friendly with NXT Paul, and he bridged the gap to, for the deal to bring him back. And they also, you know, they have, you know, whatever you want to say about them, they do adhere to a family-friendly product for the most part at this point, which was one, you know, there's no, you know, they treat the women like serious athletes most of the time. There's no right. on television. There's no swearing. There's no really awful, like, regressive storylines, which is all stuff Bruno cared about. And they do have a drug policy, whether it's effective or not, you can debate, but it, they have a drug policy that was made by somebody that Bruno respects, so... That's the Bruno story. Huh. I didn't know. Uh, I think I didn't know about a lot of that. It's cool. Uh, Bruno's done a lot of interviews with Dave. If you go back in the Observer archives, that I, tell the story is it went along, basically. He gave one last year that I was listening to. I was running on a treadmill, and it was... God, he is so wise. And oh, Bruno's so Bruno is still an amazing talker, yeah. He, yeah, he's such a phenomenal storyteller at like 87 or whatever he, whatever he is. It's yeah. amazing. Um, so, I we were talking about the 10-man tag. Yes. I, I, I Again, I don't remember whether this was on air or not, but I basically told Jeff a month ago, the reason this exists is to do a shield triple powerbomb spot. Like, that's the reason the match existed. That's the reason it was booked that way. And that's exactly what they built to and did is the key spot of the match, basically. Uh, I mean, the part of the the only reason I really recorded Raw tonight is well, number one, Brian Kendrick, and number two, see if they did anything with the Shield. Does anyone know if they've done anything with the Shield? I think Ambrose is going to go back to SmackDown, and oh, well, I would not that's be wonderful. I would not be surprised if there's a Shield trios match at Mania, but they probably won't set that up until the Royal Rumble. So, yeah, yeah plant seats. No I could with it. easily see there being a Shield versus Orton, Wyatt, and Harper match at WrestleMania. That's a plausible WrestleMania match, I think. Oh, uh, the guy! I can't believe it's saying this. We didn't go over to the pre-show. I, I actually oh. saw the pre-show matches. Did you see Luke Harper do that? Uh, fucking. Centon over the uh, off the apron over the ropes. I, did. I mean, that Luke Harper is like a secretly great worker. Well, yeah, I mean, Cody Lee is one of the best big guy workers on the Indies for yeah. a gazillion years. Well, I mean, he's he's always been referred to as kind of like you know the you know the best worker of the Wyatts because you know the Vintner can't do anything. So I've, I've I've never seen him like I've seen glimpses of him doing like really athletic stuff, but God, he he had his working shoes on. It was kind of fun with Kane, nonetheless. Yeah, the match sucked because it was Kane. Um, anyway, I can't know. Filthy Thomas turned me to an unironic Kane liker. <laughs> this was like a collection of really cool stuff that didn't really fit much in a match flow, and the booking was really weird. You know, they had to get Owens out without being pinned, so he lost. He got a bad DQ, and then they had a count out on Braun Strowman. At, that was then, great. Like, Half of the rest of the match was outside with no counts. Right. And it was just like a giant... I, I, you know, I, I, what I thought watching it was, this is basically a Young Bucks match. It was a lot like a New Japan tag in a lot of ways, where it's just like interference was rampant and the ref did nothing, and then people go outside and stand outside for two minutes before the ref starts their count. But then it's a DQ and Kevin Owens 
uses right uh, like a list. piece of paper basically. Uh, anyway. And then uh, Harper comes in later and doesn't get DQ'd. Yeah. And then um, we've obviously talked a lot about Goldberg Lesnar on the podcast. I was of the opinion that they needed to have Goldberg come out and squash him in two minutes, and he came out and squashed him in 90 seconds. I mean, I can't believe they actually did it, but it was great. Yeah. Do you remember, so, like, what, where are we at, UFC 205 now? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, do you remember, like, four months ago when Brock beat Mark Hunt just clean, a decisive sure. decision win, and sure, everyone was no, like... Yeah, but no one, no one gave a shit. I mean, I mean, they kind of have still, to give a shit. Brock went in there after he pissed hot, beat the shit out of Randy Orton, and then Hardway, then Hardway, Hardwayed him, gave him a concussion, and had him bleed everywhere. And that I know was that Goldberg squashed him. It was awesome. I know it was. I loved it. But <laughs> God, man, how I mean, they're going to make a shit ton of money off like, it is a thing. Sure, Goldberg's going to win the Royal Rumble now. They're going to have, like, this Goldberg, like, Rocky... When I say Rocky Balboa, I mean Rocky Balboa the movie. Like, this right, Goldberg, right. Rocky Balboa goes for the title one last time. Oh, they're going to print money off of this. they got to sell out the Alamo Dome. they got to sell out WrestleMania. And, and that's the point. Right. Like, this is the they point of all money. of this, is that they've been bleeding ratings for a decade now. And Goldberg's pushing ratings. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. They're gonna that get some. They're gonna get like Goldberg mainstream. Is the rating spot because it's new. You come back. This is what we talked about before. You come back a few years later, and and this is something that Goldberg for eight months in 1998 was truly a phenomenon. Yeah, and if you weren't around then, you don't understand. I'm like going was... back through listening to the like Brian and Vinny do their shows and they're reviewing other retro stuff. And Goldberg just debuted. Now he's going through his first pay per view feud with Mongo. That and was so, awful. It was after that. What what actually got Goldberg really going was they pushed Raven for like a year as like he had his he had his group of The Flock. flock. Yeah, the flock. Yeah, that just started. He, 90, uh... he he beat everybody and he cheated his way into the US title. And then the night after he won the US title, they had Goldberg come in in an unannounced title match and squash the entire flock and beat Raven in like three minutes. I loved it. I uh, watched on YouTube not long ago. And the only thing that really like felt WCW about it is that all of a sudden they go, Oh, this is Raven's rules. I'm like, what does Raven's rules mean? No no DQ. DQ. And I'm like, Oh, that's fun. Just an unannounced no DQ match with no build, but then he just destroys everyone. And it's so 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 amazing. The thing about Goldberg is like in this era of WCW, every heel faction won every match by bullshit. Basically every big match was won by a heel by bullshit. And Goldberg was immune to the bullshit. And when the bullshit started happening, Goldberg, he started spearing everybody. (laughs) That's that. That was a lot of the appeal to Goldberg. He he always seemed like a real dude, and he has that appeal now in a very different way. Which he is, feels which, legit. Yeah, it feels like this is the guy that wants to go out there and be a hero, and he wants to go out there and impress his kid, and he wants to go out there and you know make people smile and. He's in good enough shape visually that he can still oh be Goldberg. God. Him and, and Sting. Yeah, but Sting, that's a big disparity because Sting couldn't be Sting, and that was the problem. That's that's the thing, but I'm talking about like in terms of like physical shape. They were both 
and just disgusting shape for their age. It was amazing. So the Goldberg match was Goldberg does three moves and beats the guy with his moves. So Goldberg can still do that. Sting couldn't still wrestle a 25-minute match. And at some point, Goldberg's going to have to wrestle one, you know, eight-minute match or whatever. And he can do that, well, too, probably. So. Yeah, and he, can do, and he can probably do one. I mean, the thing that was brilliant about it to me is it was just... I mean, it made sense from a booking perspective, but also, like, it was confounding. Like, everything in the 10-man tag, the good and the annoying, I could have predicted. Like, Strowman and Shane being booked as the two strongest guys, Owens having a shitty elimination, the triple powerbomb spot. It's all very predictable. Ellsworth. Yeah. And they played the unpredictability, too, because the way they framed the camera angle on the first spear... It was like Brock's just backing out, and they've got like this tight, like Brock just getting up, and then out of nowhere, Goldberg just spears him right out of the camera frame. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, a, you know, WWE production gets shit on a lot, and they do way too many camera cuts, and they try and hide, you know, punches that are Shaky bad. Cam. Yeah. This was like the ultimate production moment where this just like amplified the impact of the spot so much. Kevin yeah. Dunn is, like, the best and the worst guy in the business. He's the best when he wants to be, and he's the worst when he doesn't want to be. Right, like, when I'm thinking, like, I mean, there are so many video packages before every match that, like, he heads that are so incredible, but when I'm thinking about prior moments on Raw in my head, I have, like, a little shaky camera zooming in and out, envisioning, like, in my head, and that shouldn't be happening. But on the other side, we get the, you know, moments like that and the great video uh, packages and like Including that, so. for this match, this match. Oh my god! Package. And but, the material that they would be given, it'd be impossible not to. But yeah, with you know, that team, they put everything over the edge. You know, given what Lesnar's matches have been, I guarantee you, everybody watching that match was expecting them to flip out the backside of the jackhammer and turn into the F five. Like that's the spot that, like, and they even almost teased a little bit that he was going to do it. Well, I think he'd kick out of the jackhammer and it would just sort of go from there. No, I knew as soon as he hit the yeah, jackhammer. Yeah. Same. No yeah, one no, kicks they, out of the jackhammer. They, they were not kicking out of the jackhammer. Now, if that match would have gone 18 minutes and then he hits a jackhammer, you can kick out of it. But right. You can't. No, you weren't kicking out of that shit. It was, that wasn't WrestleMania 30 where you're going to hit an F5 and just let it be. No, when he was up, and Goldberg always had this weird mannerism where when he got the guy up in the jackhammer, he turned and smiled to the hard cam. And when he <laughs> turned and smiled to the hard cam, I realized they were actually doing the squash match. Because that was like, he's he's just going to win this match. And it was the absolute right thing to do. And lots of people on the internet are mad about it. So this rematch is your WrestleMania main event. I guess... I, my assumption is that Goldberg wins the Royal Rumble and then Lesnar goes and wins the title so he gets his rematch. I mean, that's a perfectly that plausible be, way to do it. That would be, to me, the most plausible way to get there, which is an inversion of the way they did the Michaels-Undertaker second match. Can I just say that I literally booked this in my college wrestling group like 15 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> not that hard! That exact angle? No, it's not. That's the point. And they've kept this angle very simple. It's Goldberg, big mega face, wants to, you know, beat the big bad monster one last time for his kid. And they didn't book Brock like a wishy-washy tweener. They just booked him as like an asshole deal again for two months. Right. 
and they didn't do anything stupid. They didn't have them touch before the match. Um, they made sure on television to have Goldberg do a couple impressive-looking spots with other people so you knew Goldberg could still go. It's almost like promoting isn't that hard once you get down to the granular level of it. And they usually get this stuff right when they really care about it. Right. They just don't care that much. And it's a shame just because, like, man, like, American Alpha. I was, like, watching the, uh, thought back to their, uh, the Dusty Tag Team Tournament. Or, no, not even that. The freaking Revival match. They, they, uh, Alpha and Revival are, like, one of the best tag team matches of the year because Revival just shits out four and a half star takeover match- matches. Sure, it was but, uh, And they've, they've been getting, they've done nothing, and it's so sad. No, they were setting them up for a tag team title feud with the Usos, and then they decided to keep the belts on Slater and Rhino, so now they're just the number two face tag team, and that's a death spot. Uh, do you have your, uh, your Dave, your Daves up, your Dave awards? I keep a running list. I haven't done the full one yet. I'll probably do it sometime this week or next. Same. I have my, uh, you mind if I go over mine with you real quick? See if you have any, uh, objections? Sure, but we do have to cut this off at some point. Yeah, I know. It's 52 minutes. Uh, yes. Go AJ, ahead. AJ, Omega, Okada, Nakamura, Naito for Thez Flair. Okay, I'm going to vote for Naito. I haven't decided down. I'm probably going to vote Naito Styles somebody. I haven't decided who somebody is yet. I missed out a lot of uh, Naito's great matches. Hey, Hawkeye, come see. So, Dog's doing a run-in. Um... One of the re- Naito's driven New Japan's business a lot more this year than really anybody else in any other company. So, and he shit out just amazing matches. He's a great promo. Yeah. Uh, MMA MVP Connor most outstanding. Uh, AJ Chris Hero Will Osprey. I uh, I haven't seen enough Hero stuff to me me neither. But Osprey's amazing. But so is AJ. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, most outstanding, we talked about this, Bisping, Rumble. Rumble could take over if he knocks out Cormier in the first round. That's going to uh, be outside the voting period. Damn it, you're right. Uh, so it's, it's going to be gonna Bisping. It's going to be Bisping. Bisping's going to win MMA most outstanding. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, best box office draw, Connor. No one else is close. Uh, it's Con- yeah, it's Connor and Rousey and somebody. Rousey hasn't done anything. Rousey fought last December. Oh, that was last December. Well, was, yeah, it last, was it? Wait, was it November or December? I might be. I might have screwed that up. I'm gonna beat you to it. Uh, no, it was November. Excuse me. Son of a so, bitch. It's uh, God. So it's probably McGregor, Nate Diaz, and somebody. Which is just ridiculous. Uh, what's your feud of the year? Goldberg versus Lesnar. All right. Uh, tag team of the year. You know more about this than I. I. Uh, I'm leaning Young Bucks. I might end up voting for the Revival instead. Yeah, I have Revival, Bucks, and Alpha, but I don't watch a whole lot of like non-WWE tag team stuff. There really uh, isn't a lot of great non-WWE tag, like regular tag team stuff, to be honest, outside of the Bucks stuff, and you watch enough of the Bucks stuff, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, I've seen, I've seen their matches, and I know that they're really, really good, and that's enough. Uh, most improved, thanks to Jeff and putting in Johnny, Garg- Johnny Gargano. Yeah, that's also who I'm planning on voting for. I haven't looked at the entire list yet. Um, uh, best on interviews? Conor McGregor. That's true. I was just thinking about wrestling. Yeah, I had Pentagon. No, MMA's el- that's an MMA-eligible award. It's, I'm probably voting McGregor 1, Goldberg 2, and somebody else 3. 
God, Goldberg, best promo. Um, I know, but he really was the best promo in wrestling this year. It's amazing, yeah, unless you think about, well, like, Pentagon had some incredible Spanish promos in Lucha Underground. Uh, Enzo, if you want to, you know, take in, like, yeah, Enzo's probably, Enzo's probably almost for third. Uh, Paul Heyman hasn't had, like, as great of a year as he had last, and he was trying to, like, he was just busting his ass trying to get Roman over, and it was amazing. Uh, Kenny Omega is also really, really good, but he hasn't really done anything that impactful. Like he had that, uh, he had a really great promo. He cut on Okada and that's the first really serious impactful promo he's cut all year. But, uh, yeah, Conor McGregor is now on mine. Most charismatic Nakamura. McGregor is an option for this one too. I'm, I'm taking Nakamura because when I see Nakamura, I'm just like, n- there's no one better in the world. Like, I, I he, think that's a decent. He's, he just glows. It's incredible. You know, Gold, Goldberg is an option for this. Brock is an option for this. True. Different types of charisma, but yeah. Sure. Did I tell you about, uh, I told you a little bit about my NXT house show, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, God, when Nakamura came out. Oh my God. It was like, it was like watching like, the I mean, rest of seen, something of like Tom Cruise come out. It was, it was amazing. Nakamura, yeah, I've seen Nakamura live probably about ten times at this point. So yeah, lucky, so lucky. Uh, best technical, I don't know. Uh, probably Zack Saber Jr. Still, I am not a huge Timothy Thatcher fan. He's one of the other people that would be eligible for this. I guess. I haven't seen him. Gulak. I just heard he's been booked terribly. Yeah, Gulak, Gulak's in the mix too. Oh, if we're gonna go that far to Gulak, Gulak I'm just taking Shibata. Yeah, it's Shibata. It's has, he hasn't had a great year, though. Shibata hasn't had a great year? Since that G1, um, he's been fucking amazing. I just, I, I haven't liked his stuff as much this year. Anyway. Dude, okay, so, like, yeah, I didn't like his tournament so much. But yeah. then, like, as soon as he headbutted Nakajima, I was like, yep, it's lit. <laughs> uh, best, br- uh, best brawler, Ichi. Yeah, I mean, like, Roman's a down-ballot guy. Roman's a down-ballot best brawler, but Ishii just takes the cake. Roman's uh, a down-ballot but most outstanding candidate, too, if you want to go there. Oh, yeah, you can. It's just, yeah. I think there are other dudes on the indies who have just, or not indies, but outside promotions who can either match or equate, no, either match or exceed his uh, work fair. rate. Uh, best flyer. <sighs> I don't know. I I'm gonna have to watch some. I'm gonna have to watch some more lucha than I'd like to to figure this out. I'm guessing just, it'll probably end up being Phoenix or somebody like that. It's probably should you be just Flamita, watch Flamita, but yeah, Phoenix Flamita, somebody like that. Um, it's not gonna be. It's not gonna be anybody in any promotion I watch regularly. I'll tell you that. It's probably gonna end up being Ricochet or Will Osprey. I yeah, I I voted for Ricochet in this Same. category past but i feel like i feel like like phoenix and flamita have outdone what ricochet is able to do athletically are that uh, is that triple a or cmll uh phoenix is triple a flamita is independent i mean that's a name i've never even heard of i kind of want to watch him now he's done some dragon gate stuff too so i need to get hooked up with some dragon gate uh, oh, Jeff's your guy for that. Uh, hell yeah. Most overrated. What's that? Uh, most overrated. Corbin, Miz, Ziggler. I'm going to erase Miz because he's actually been really, really good. Don't give a shit about Ziggler. Yeah, so most overrated yeah. we should mention because this is horribly missed. It is actually most overpushed. Right. Hence Corbin. 
Um, I'm probably going to vote for Roman again, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've really turned a co- uh, corner on him. I, I find him entertaining. It's just he hasn't. He still hasn't deserved the push he's gotten. I can still probably vote for Shinko Takagi this year. Yeah, you can. So, uh, Corbin's another. Um, Corbin's actually a really good one because, uh, like, I feel like if they th- this is getting into like hypotheticals, but like if they had decided to give Brock Brock Lesnar give somebody the rub, it was going to be probably Baron Corbin and, or Braun Strowman. Yeah, hey, Strowman would be another good one for this one too. Yeah, but at least Strowman has, has like this like ironic. Yeah, sure, it's not him. awful. Yeah, like Strowman's a fucking silly goose, and it's hilarious. I thought he almost like, killed AJ Styles like during the match, but yes, that. he did. He threw him right on top of his neck. Oh my god! If you want to see something gross, go to my Twitter. Uh, I posted a picture of Naito landing on his head during in a nothing eight man during the first day of tag league. Oh yeah. man, it was so gross. So my issue with Corbin is that, like, Strowman's at least big and has a presence. Corbin's just, like, every generic dude. Like, I don't get it. He can't talk. He can't He can't do anything. He doesn't have a look that's particularly interesting. He's, like, taller he's gangrel, balding. basically. Yeah, he's balding. He doesn't <laughs> have a particularly great physique. He's not, even, he's not an awful worker. He's okay. He's, like, an okay, like, fringe average worker, but... Like, he's incapable of having a really great match, but his matches are usually fine. And he has a badass finisher. Like the he hit the he hit the end of days in the uh, Dusty Tag Tournament last year, and it, yeah, it was just one of those things. Table, yeah, God, that was it was ridiculous. Uh, most underrated. This would be a easy Cesaro. Neville. No, it's it's actually Cesaro. Yeah, except that Cesaro is actually on TV every week, and Neville's not. And Neville is like yeah, one but of the Neville top was, ten Neville workers was, in the world. Neville was hurt for most of the voting period, and hasn't done that much recently to actually convince you that he still is. I'm guessing he probably is. Don't get me wrong; I'm probably on vote for Neville second or third in this category. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, disagree. Cesaro should be the world champion. True. Yeah, he should be. He should be feuding with. Steen or Zane or Roman for a title. Could you make a yeah, case so, for Zane at underrated at this point? Oh yeah, I'm probably yeah because he was off TV for four months after he won a feud. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely Zane should be the top babyface on one of these brands. Yes, yeah, uh, Zane's on my Zane's in my second place, and thank you for saying that. That's the reason in my little uh, faux draft I did with Neil, Sammy Zane was my number one pick. Yeah, and that's you know. Now, at this point, I don't know if they could still do that because they've beaten him into oblivion. But there was, you know, six months ago, they could have made him the top face and that would have worked. Hadn't stopped him before. Yeah, I know. See Dean. They killed Dean and grounded him, grounded him into I saw nothing people, and then I saw, nothing world champion. I saw people bitching that Dean was the one that should have beaten Brock at Mania. I'm like, uh, I was at that. At I was time. at that. I was at that mania. If they had put Dean over, the crowd would have turned on the show. I mean, that's uh, also never stopped them before, but... Like, that yeah. was not the guy to put over that spot. 
Jeff, uh, when we had drinks in New Orleans, he's told me that like when he first saw Ambrose, that he thought they found their Stone Cold, and this oh, the current no. Ambrose is nothing like that now. If they had went with him in like summer of 2014, right after they split the shield up, if they had just went with him, he would absolutely be the guy right and now. And they had the opportunity when Reigns went down with the appendix or the spleen they or whatever absolutely, it was. Absolutely. They had every opportunity, and instead they had and Gray him Wyatt hologram. Like, <laughs> they had the Wiley E. Coyote spot with the TV, and they put Rollins over. <laughs> and they, um, then later he became a comedy goof, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. They had him as a serious, out of control, like they had that vibe like they had with uh, Austin and like the Hart Foundation feud in 97. And they didn't did go that, with him. Did that win feud of the year that year? It had to have. Because, man, like, going back and watching and listening to the reviews from it, watching some of those shows, God, like, man, Bret Hart was so amazing. Bret Hart was such an awesome heel. I mean, I haven't watched that stuff since it's aired. Does that look Uh, like Weekly Raw still hold up? uh, The Weekly Raw shows are, I mean, they're pretty bad because there's a lot of undercard bullshit that's just terrible. Like, you see a lot of Los Bariquas and the Pig Farmers and... Early blackjack Mulligan and JBL, and like every now and then you'll see a 19 year old Matt and Jeff Hardy. But the main event stuff at the top of the card when you had Sean Undertaker, Foley, Austin, Kane now, Kane like Kane is just so over, and uh, the hearts the, the, that heart feud with Austin, the comedy that they did was it was, it was hysterical. Like, the do you remember a skit? Okay, this is silly because it was 19 years ago. They had a skit where uh, Shawn Michaels like hid something, like hid the belt. No, they were looking for Shawn, and uh, the parts like went out into the parking lot. And Brett's in his wheelchair, like look in that oil well, look under that tire, <laughs> look under that truck. And you see like Jim Neidhart looking under wheel wells and people opening out car hoods. And then like they cut back to the arena and Shawn Michaels just walking out with his music, like nothing happened. <laughs> that feud did win feud of the year in '97. It wasn't. They did a really good job of intertwining stories, and like uh, while Brett was feuding with Austin and Michaels at the same time, he was also feuding with guys like the Patriot for the title, and yeah. they managed to weave it in really well. It was just everything on the undercard was horrible, but yes, yeah. it does hold up. Austin's still incredible, and everything Michaels touches is gold. Like he was gone for four months or something like that when he lost a smile. Not four months when he lost a smile. And he did the moonsault back into the ring on the first night back. I remember I, that. Uh, he's, he's amazing. Okay, uh, back on track. Promotion of the year. I have New Japan. I mean, it's probably UFC, but who cares? Point. Yeah, they're pretty. Dana White's amazing. I mean, he's a piece of one word for it. They sold the company for $4 billion, and none of these other companies are worth $4 billion. So that really is the promotion of the year. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay, we know we both know what match of the year is, but uh, Nakamura exactly uh, five stars plus. But what are your runners up? Like your top two? You know, so I was actually thinking about this, um, and it's not it's not like that easy. There's the Okada the Okada Tanahashi from the Dome. Yep. Uh, there's the last two G one nights or in that, that mix. Been Naito Omega. And uh, Naito Goto, Naito, no, no uh, Omega Goto, Omega Goto, excuse me. Um, the 
and I may be pushing this a little because I was there, the um, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, like crazy brawl match from the Extreme, extreme Rules. rules. Four yeah. And a, four and three quarter. Yep, that's on my list. Uh, that's an option. Uh, you know, I saw people suggesting the Goldberg, the Goldberg match from last <laughs> night, which is kind of a weird one to vote for, but like, wouldn't, I would not have a problem with anybody voting for that match. I tell you, this Nakamura Zane is going to face an uphill battle because other people are going to vote for like a uh, Tanahashi Okada from the uh, yeah, Tokyo Dome from I the mean, Dome also show. Also, because Dave's been shitting on it for the last six months. Also, because Dave's right. given out like four or five star ratings this year. He gave out a five star rating to a match that I thought was like above average. What was that? It was some like random Ishii match in like March, I think. Oh, would have no, been like, Ishii Shibata. I, I don't I don't was remember. It, yeah, that, uh, um, it was the uh, well, maybe he didn't. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. No, because the Ishii Okada match from G1 actually was really great. Um, oh that, yeah, that's uh, I think that's like four yeah, on that's, my list. Uh. I must be going crazy. Apparently, he didn't. I'm, I'm sorry, Dave. I have How failed you. you. I have failed. I have I failed. Mean, it's it's my a totally Dave plausible tweet. theory. I just remember the tweet, the the Uber driver Dave Meltzer tweet, which is my favorite. I think of all. <laughs> I haven't seen uh, this. It's uh, imagine being Dave Meltzer's Uber driver and knowing you'll never get five stars unless you're taking him to the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, we're going to say goodbye to Brady. Hey, thank y'all. And uh, after this monstrosity of a show, we may or may not be back next week with another edition for all you kids out there. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.